Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're scared. <laughs> yeah, I know. Is that like a ghost noise? Or I, don't know. I don't know what the fuck it was. <laughs> we got a really great show for you. We're going to be doing an interview with Jake West. Yeah. Uh, who is uh, the director and writer of Evil Aliens. He's oh, the director yeah. of Doghouse. Uh, he's also done quite a few documentaries. He has them through his Nucleus Films. He's, uh, he's one of the head people for Nucleus Films, one of the owners. But it's a great interview. I really enjoyed it. So hang tight, guys. That'll be here in a little bit. But how are you guys doing? Did you do anything fun? No, not uh, really. No, no fun stuff this Dude, you week. went to Vegas, dude. Yeah, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, tell us about your what big is... win, dude. Oh, yeah, and yeah, And all yeah. the blow and hookers you bought with it. <laughs> so uh, I walked up to a machine, and I just put five bucks, and I max bet it. Wait, wait, what, what casino were you at? Uh, Luxor. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. That's my jam. So, put five bucks in, max bet it, came out with like $420. Damn. Shit. And, and what's good. good is you didn't put it back in. No. You cashed, yeah, out, and walk, cashed out and walked away. That's how He's like it, smart about that shit. <laughs> I, like, I remember when I went to Vegas, I fucking was winning at that. I, told, I think we talked about this before, but I won the Judge Judy and I just kept fucking going. Yeah. I was like, I'll just win some more. <laughs> Excellent logic. You know what's funny about the machine? It like, uh, when you get to the bonus round or whatever, mm-hmm. like the voice would be like, you know, collect, you know, crystals to collect a special crystal prize. And when the way he said it, it just sounded like broken English, but it was like an American accent. <laughs> collect crystals for crystal crystal prize. Special crystal prize. Was he like, like Russian or? No, no, no. It was like <laughs> it was an American voice, but it sounded like you know. Like Asian broken English, or like, something like, like that. it was written in English, translated to like Japanese, then retranslated to English, and they had to end this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Special crystal prize. So, so how much did you win? Four hundred twenty dollars. Pretty uh, good, dude. How befitting? No, <laughs> how fitting for you? What are you saying? Uh, <laughs> what did you spend it on? I uh, spent it on nothing yet, but I am oh. going to buy a new mic. Ah, so uh, yeah, oh, fantastic. So, what about you, Mike? Uh. uh more of my new job, which is pretty cool, watching some movies. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, too, is the haunted house I went to. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get to talk about that. Yeah, uh, it was okay. It wasn't as good as it could have been. I've been to some other haunted houses that were much better. And mm-hmm. I'm not knocking on the uh, 13th floor haunted house because it was still pretty cool. Right. It was about as good as you could get for having a haunted house that was in an old like mall. What was it called this year? A 13th floor haunted house. It was just haunted house? Yeah, well, there was two. There wasn't a theme to it? Uh, that's what was kind of weird about it. There was two haunted houses. One was kind of a zombie-ish kind of theme, and it was kind of cohesive. That was the second one. But the first one had no theme whatsoever. That's huh. what was like really fell apart for me. That's weird. Yeah, it was like you're literally... Were walking. they just trying to freak you out, or are they just lazy? Um, <laughs> I don't know, dude. 
Because there really, no offense, thirteenth floor. There, there, really. Really, there really was no theme. It was literally like you, you start in the, the main queue area and you go in, and it's kind of cool. And it's like you walk in and you'd be like in one room that looks like there's a person on a bed or something, and you go to another room that looks like it might be a kitchen. Then all of a sudden you're outside. There's a big like statue of a, like a like a snake, and then you're in like in a jungle area, and you're back in the house. Now you're in the darkness. There was no cohesiveness, no story or anything. It was just shit. Really? Oh, yeah. It was like Grandpa's Garage. <laughs> <laughs> which which is sad because uh, I've been to some that have really cool like stories and stuff that kind of work. And there's like this one I went to a couple of years ago called The Nest. Oh, yeah. I oh, remember yeah. The Nest. I went to that. Yeah, Did you ever w- check out Fear Farm? Uh, I've been to it before, but I haven't actually been to it. Okay. Just driving by. You're like, oh, look at that. Oh, no. Uh, I did a, my band played a, a horror film festival there. In the back. Time. Yeah, that's right. And we didn't have time to go to the haunted house there, but. But anyways, I'm saying Ness was better because Ness actually had like a story. Right. It was like it was about if I remember correctly, it was about this like serial killer that, you know, hacked him in the cornfield or some yeah. Guy, yeah. And then he went to they put him away and he escaped and he came back and. Didn't you uh, when you went to that one? It was like you walked into the, uh, like an elevator, and there was like that monkey guy that's like takes you up a floor. <clears throat> Is that the one? Is that the nest? Because I it, it could be. It that's the one I remember for the nest. That was years ago, dude. But but still, that was actually wasn't bad. Yeah, and that was. Good. I, I just I was like I kept hearing people kept telling me like oh man, thirteen floors like the premier haunted house it's gonna be crazy and it was it was fun I had a good time. Right. But it didn't like kick my ass. Anyway, so what have you been up to? Did you tell me to say what's up with you? Uh, I don't even remember what the fuck. I'm always like doing something sort of. I mean, I went out to a bar last night. Oh yeah, uh, with like Mike, Jenny, and you worked on some music and shit. Uh, no, well, we didn't really get to work on music, but we did hang out, and that was nice because I really needed to. Oh, that's cool, man. Because I don't go out much, you know what I mean? Oh, so, I, yeah, I, I hear you that. But we ended up just like going to the bar and talking politics at a club, what club like the whole night. Uh, we went to this place called Stacy's. They do like a goth industrial night there, and oh, nice. it's like uh, it's it's it used to be called Sanctum, but now it's just like a it's a it's kind of like a it's a gay bar, but it's like open to like whatever style of events that people want to do there too. Right. But it's predominantly a gay bar. But those are where all all of our scene shows and stuff have always been. Oh, yeah. It's it's so it's so weird that like uh, I don't want to say weird, but I've I've always noticed that all the industrial goth stuff always gets clumped together with It's because alt, we're accepting alt, of that kind stuff. of shit. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they and and a lot of people aren't. Right. And they're accepting of our, you know, weird, you know, dark <laughs> stuff, you know what I mean? So But still it's cool. It's cool to get to go to some of the uh, cuz some of the coolest bars I've been to are gay bars. Right. You know, and it's it's uh the crowd's cool, the people are cool and yeah, it's it's a definitely different environment. There's no like pop collars and shit like that, dude. It's... I had a lot of fun, and they really they redid the whole fucking place. Oh, that's cool, man. It was cool. I don't know. It's just really nice in there, and they got like, like they have this upside down cross dildo <laughs> in a display, and like they got all these lights and everything. I mean, the whole place looks really gothic. That's oh, cool, man. Still, and it's you know what I mean. It's just really nice looking. It's the same guys that owned uh, Transylvania oh, that nice. we used to always go to. But yeah, no, I had fun at the bar. I think it's that time, guys. Oh my god. Horror shots. Hey, do you need the garbage pan? <laughs> garbage pan. Get a towel. <laughs> Is there garbage pans? <laughs> I didn't yeah, man, that's where you cook the garbage. You put it on the pan, and then you. <laughs> I didn't say it was too bright, dude. <laughs> I got my schooling out of a lunchbox. <laughs> so we were gonna name this shot uh, a famous Trump line. 
some some very great words, but we decided against it. It's it's it's, a, it's one of the greatest lines that we're ever going to hear <laughs> from I, a president. I, I know right. for for it's going to go down in history. They're, we're going to have. We're going to be talking about it. it it's, it's like four scores and seven years ago. Right. You can, you know, you can we were gonna, alcohol any way you want. Yeah, we were going to call it Grabber by the Pussy. Grab by the pussy. <laughs> but we thought, you know, some of our listeners may get offended for no reason, but I think they kind of get us by now that we're not serious about anything. I am. Yeah. So it's like... Anyway, that, that would be disgusting, dude. To do like a like half a shot of Bacardi, some like <laughs> vodka, and like uh, tuna juice. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, dude. And, like, it's not even just straight tuna juice. It's, like, chunks in it. Ugh. Like, you know what I mean? It just hits the back of your throat and a little piece of fish flap. Like, it's flip-flapping around flap. on your neck. <laughs> flip-flapping around. <laughs> dude, there is shots like that out there. Oh, a little fish flap. Flippity what the flip fuck flap. are we talking about? Uh, but we decided, we decided that we were going to call uh, this shot Special Dead, because the theme of the show, by the way, which we didn't talk about, is Zombie Nom. Nom, 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 nom. We we had so many different names, and we were going to call it Special Dead, but we decided that we wanted to have the name Zombie in it, because it is literally about a show, uh, uh, any movies that you can watch that are unique zombie movies. And we're not going to list all of them, by the way, guys. So, So this shot's called Special Dead. Basically, what we have here is Bacardi Superior, mm. Malibu Rum, Malibu, Bacardi One Fifty One, One Fifty One. We also have Grenadine, what, and Triple Sec. Triple what? Here's one for you. This looks like a Jello shot that hasn't congealed yet. Ooh, it smells uh, really gross. Oh yeah, it, it does. Why would you be. make it so big? What do you mean? <laughs> why'd you make it so big? <laughs> Yo, dog, why is he? Why are you so big? Yo, it's got a mind of its own. <laughs> Don't worry, Pat. <laughs> I'll take I'm it slow. A, I'm going to ease it in. Put, you put some salt you know around saying? the rim, you know what I mean? <laughs> All right. So uh, to uh, we'll drink this to, to Jake West, our guest for today. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Drink it up, dude. It's not great. You all right? Tastes like Windex, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what's worse, that it tastes like Windex or that you know what Windex tastes like. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not good. I mean, we don't, I don't, there's very few shots we do here that are good. <laughs> because I think we just want to fucking, like, make it disgusting. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I could I could do that. It, it's it's like when you're you're really, like, strung out and you need, like, alcohol really bad, so you empty all your bottles in your house into, like, a shot glass because that's all you got left. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much our show. <laughs> and then, like, soak it in a tampon or something, right? What? And then, like, soak it in a tampon. Oh. So what is it with you? Bad, what is it with you guys? What is it with you and tampons? Yeah. I just I just use balls of toilet paper and or brawny towels. Well, what would you give that out of a ten? Three. All right, you? Um, 3.1456. What's pi? Are you trying to fucking price is right me here now? <laughs> One dollar. <laughs> I give it a twelve. No, I'm kidding. Um, I probably get, I don't know. It's like a three or four. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just figured we'd give it a shot. Oh, a horror bleh. shot. That wah, is so wah, bad. Wah, wah. I didn't even, <laughs> I really you, did not mean to do that. Totally like, did. I did not. Your shitty jet dad jokes. Dude, that was just seriously stupid. <laughs> All right, that's it for horror shots, guys. Yo, God damn it, right? Ladies and gentlemen, this just is from the news. <laughs> 
There's a lot of fucking dudes here, man. Oh, yeah. And some, most of it's not even horror. Well, it, it is a horror. It is yeah, horror. <laughs> it's a real-life horror story. Yeah. Uh, no, but really, dude, uh, it's, it's Donald Trump being president. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. bizarre, man, because, like... Nobody thought. Not even his supporters thought he would win. Right. No, and, and I told you he was going to be president multiple times. I think you did. I did. I knew he was going to be president. And I'm not saying that I don't, I'm not saying I support the guy or anything like that. I just based on the climate and based on what he was doing. I don't know if you know this, but we're so wrapped around the internet. You know, we post memes every single day. Right. We essentially associate with memes, right? Like it's natural now. It's like yeah. second nature. You don't even think of it. There's a few that don't, but we we literally just elected a, a living meme. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's so true. It's, scary. it's ser- we, dude. The conferences at NATO are gonna be like fucking comedy, like gold, I guess, <laughs> or just complete nightmares. Like I don't know. Like <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, can you imagine? Like he goes to different. Like now he starts. Uh, oh yeah, a, a new TV show like hanging with the prez. <laughs> I know. There's always a team of uh, you know uh, camera guys following around in the uh, White House and right. stuff. Right. Like, when he sleeps and everything's like 24 hour Trump. It's just <laughs> it's a new channel. It's all Trump, all Trump, uh, all day. I, uh, uh, I don't know if I want to get that get into that without uh, in this episode, but I have heard stuff like that about part of the, like conspiracy theory stuff. But him wanting to get into presidency because he's trying to create like merge with them, some other media moguls to create his own like media empire. Wow! And that's part of the reason he wanted to be president was to do that. I mean, I don't know the specifics, I, but I've heard I've heard that. Whether you like him or not, I don't care who you voted for, guys. Like, I really don't. Like, I voted for who I thought was going that I thought the policies were right and were in line with what I wanted. And I totally respect that. What yeah. I don't respect is forty six percent of the fucking population did not go out and vote. Right. And that's pretty. That's pretty uh, bad. Yeah, I tried. I think that's a lot of people that just didn't <laughs> Fuck know what you, to. Mike, <laughs> dude, I, I got home from work. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I and yeah. I had like an hour left. He walked before, to the before... door. He was like, "How do I open the door?" Right, right. He <laughs> I just sat down and just started jerking off. He just went straight to Pornhub. <laughs> There's one. There's one. Pornhub. I, I go to X Hamster. Oh, okay. Or sorry. X videos. Wait, X videos has more piss There's videos. one called X Hamster. Oh yeah. What is it, like, softcore hamster porn? Right, why would you put a hamster in Yeah, why is it just a single X? Is there a triple X hamster? I don't know, but it, it's got a lot of really good HD porn. There's a, there's something called X videos, which why is... Why do you care if it's an HD or Yeah, not? really. Well, because if, if I, I want to know... I, I would come on the tape and just put it in the... I, <laughs> yeah. I prefer I want to make sure the that golden I know, age of I want to know that it's actually a you pussy and not like a dick. I want to know there's a difference. When we were kids, you mentioned VHS. Uh, I found this porn tape. From, it was probably my dad's. It was it was in the house, so we took the porn tape and we we. Uh, so you shared a moment with your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's kind of weird. You think about it. <laughs> oh, I got, a sto- I got I got a story. Like, go ahead. I got a story too. Hey, Mr. McDonald, if you're listening, if yeah, you're listening, he's probably not. Th- dad, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we uh we took it the you know the tape out of the actual cassette or whatever. Or, we put yeah, it in like, a different one, and it was Beethoven. And later on, we had lost track of the tape. And my dad said he had sold it at a yard sale. So somebody out there who's sitting down trying to enjoy Beethoven is going to get a face full of cock. <laughs> or, yeah, probably. My, my parents used to have a camper because we used to go camping. Right. And we had a camper in our uh, driveway. And I, was, I remember going through there sometimes to, like, kind of hang out and, like, go through my dad's shit. And I found a magazine called Penthouse. And I'm like, sweet, I fucking love penthouses. They're, like, really cool, like, really swanky, like, New York-like things. 
Wait, like, you didn't see the half naked girl in like, front? I'm like, there's no penthouses in this ma- magazine. This fucking magazine's shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty young. What is all this for the hairy crotch? I'm just kidding. Oh, man. That was, uh, I was very young at the but, time. But no, can you imagine if Trump does have like a tv show it's like him just going to different branches of office like in the government somehow and he's just like you're fired like over and over like it's like this cool thing dude like and then he just like hires like mr t to like run <laughs> secretary of state <laughs> it's like a really justin bunch of, like, bieber's like people. the fucking oh, like film and education or whatever the fuck you know what i mean i don't know man i i don't doubt it i mean i well let me say this i don't think he's actually gonna do that no. But he easily could if he wanted to. Yeah. No, I mean, guys, I, I don't mean we don't mean to get into it. And seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, we don't care who you vote for. If you went out and voted, fuck yeah. Congratulations. Yay. Like, to me, in my personal opinion, like, if you went out and voted, you did something. You're a true American. So anyway, Trump is president. I guess we're going to deal with it. And it's going to be a lot of crazy shit ahead. Uh, the, the president only has so much power, guys. No, just, right. just remember no, that, you're, okay? you're totally correct, dude. You, you like, we have that. a government in place so that... Tyranny can't happen. You're correct. I'm just blown away that he made it. Right. And I think every I think one of his supporters are. are pretty blown away that he did too. Right. I think they're just like, oh shit, he really did win. Well, I, I think he. I think he really. Uh, I think he knows how to play the game. Yeah. Yeah, it's tremendous. It's 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 amazing. It's wonderful. <laughs> yes. it's, I, many, I, many people tell me how yeah, tremendous it is. Many people tell me <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's great. It's wonderful. Uh, but anyway, moving along. What other news do we have? Uh, a couple other news items. Couple other news items, um, not quite horror, but still fascinating. Okay, uh, Pacific Rim Two is finally filming. Is Ooh. that going to be by Guillermo del Toro? I'm not sure. Do you know? I'm not quite sure. Uh, I'm not sure actually. You should try to find it. In my opinion, like I, I know a lot of people weren't big fans of Pacific Rim, but I like it. Oh, I liked it too. Like because it's like, dude, it's the closest we're ever going to get to robots and monsters, dude. You remember, like you remember last week when I was talking about like directors were using actual models he built a full-scale model of i think it was the head and the cockpit of the robot and i, I just thought that was crazy oh but life-size yeah mean? life-size well yeah I and mean, he's got that museum out in california guillermo del toro oh i didn't know about yeah that. he's got a whole fucking museum yeah he, uh, guillermo for the second one he's gonna be doing the second yeah, one for sure oh nice nice I, well i was in either way but some people are not big fans of him. Some are. Oh, dude, he's fantastic. I, I think could... I think sometimes he gets a little blown out of the water. I love him as a person. I love his storytelling. I love his direction. His characters are on point all the time, but his movies aren't always amazing. Right. Like, I, everything he does isn't I, just amazing. I think amazing. his movies are pretty good. Something about his style is really amazing, but it's also, it's not in line with what I like 100%. Right. Like, it's very showman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like it's, I, I feel like while he does amazing aesthetics, I don't necessarily always get the atmosphere. Although he creates a very beautiful world in all of his stuff, like he's like Ridley Scott in that sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he is very detailed in his set designs and everything like that. So oh, he's, for sure, if if you're gonna put it that way, I will totally agree. I just, I just, I feel like some of his atmosphere is missing, but his characters and his, and the people that act for him, he's on point. He knows how to make that entertaining. Right. But I feel like if he went a little bit more atmospheric, I don't know. Cause like even Crimson Peak, I was like, eh, it's good. It's like a good that. movie. You're saying if he did that, it'd be like the cherry. It'd be like a complete picture. It's, I just feel like it doesn't have 
it's just missing the atmosphere that I prefer. Right. And maybe I'm just too old school. But that's just me. Uh, only other thing I really have is uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, Brent Easton Ellis, uh, the guy who actually wrote American Psycho, um, Lesson Zero, oh, Rules of Attraction. He's making his uh, directorial d- debut with uh, The Deleted. Oh, uh, what's his name again? His name? Yeah. Uh, Brest- Brent Easton Ellis. Easton Ellis, and he's the he's the writer of American uh, yeah, Psycho. Yeah, he, he did American Psycho, uh, Lesson Zero, and Rules of Attraction. Wow. He also did some other stuff, too. Uh, he actually, well, this is what was, I think it's called Lunar Park. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard of that. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's a, like an unofficial sequel to American Psycho. Okay. Which is kind of interesting because, like, American Psycho was about, you know, uh, Patrick Bateman doing his murders and stuff like that. And then uh, Lunar Park was about, it's a pseudo kind of biography about, uh, autobiography about Benny Sinellis. Right. Because it's, it's him writing about himself and uh, his uh, Patrick Bateman character was so big and so famous that it, he became like a real character. And right. he, he writes about himself being stalked by a character he created in previous novels. Okay, so it's very meta. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, well, you were saying that the book is just fucking gory as fuck. Like, you had to put it down. Yeah, if you have not read American Psycho, it's... Uh, well, first of all, like, he got uh, panned for being hardcore misogynistic, and he had women's groups trying to, like, shut him down, and he had got all kinds of death threats and stuff, and it was really bad when he wrote the book. So... What was your favorite part of the book that maybe wasn't in the movie? Yeah, what's some, like, the worst part? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Okay, uh, in no specific order. Just one of them. Just name one, the worst part in it. There's a scene where he cuts some chick's, like, entrails up, uh, and he starts eating her intestines, and he talks about, like, eating her shit, like the brown paste coming out of her intestines, and he's uh. like, eating it. So, <laughs> it's, it's hardcore, man. So, wait, you and were... T- there's, there's also a, okay, there's also a scene... Uh, straight out of uh, Ed, Kemp- Ed Kemper's like playbook, where he walks around with a raging boner and he walks around with a fucking severed head. The head that he's the guy dick. that stared stared out the window, at the heads outside that he said it, they were watching him that he buried in the yard. Is that oh, the guy? Yeah, that, that's where it came from. Right. But yeah. Fuck. That's some twisted. I, shit I mean, yeah. That I can. So I mean, first of all, guys, if you don't know Mike. If you haven't been following along since the very beginning, Mike is actually not very squeamish with that kind of stuff. <laughs> so for him to be able to put down a book and have to take a break from it because it's too much. It says a lot. That says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but goddamn, dude. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I think it's okay to be offended by it. I just don't think it's, it's not real. Well, and the, the, the cool thing about the book too is it's a, it's a lot smarter than it leads on to be. Right. And I don't just mean like because it's gory and, and, and offensive and stuff like that. I don't know if Brent Easton Ellis is, is this smart of a writer or if he just like lightning in a bottle kind of a thing. But it's a kind of a book that you have to read, finish reading, put down, step back, look at it, and then you can kind of get a really good assessment on what the book is actually about. Because hmm. there, there's some um, – it's, it's a journey into a madman. It is, is mine. And it's written in the first person, so you're reading it through right. the mind of a madman. That's exactly, and like, yeah. And, and the, the That's main why ca- it's so prolific. <clears throat> yeah. Right. And the, uh, this is what's cool, too, is like, since the main character is so obsessive-compulsive about stuff, there's entire chapters on really obscure stuff. There's one entire chapter on, like, Phil Collins. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, it's just, like, about how awesome Phil Collins is with uh, the Genesis or whatever, you know, and... I don't know. How you to know what this reminds me of? I totally forgot about it. But Funny or Die did a American Psycho version of the movie. 
Oh. Where they have Huey Lewis, <laughs> who's Weird the crazy Al. guy. Yeah. And who plays the other guy? Weird Al. Who was it? It's Weird Al and Huey, Huey Lewis. Oh, that's no, right. shit. Yeah. I have not seen Dude, this. it's so it funny, dude. Like, <laughs> Send me the link. He talks about, like, I forget what he talks about, but he's like, I don't know. It's Huey Lewis. It's like totally Huey, and he's hanging out with Weird Al. And they, they refer to each other as their names. Wow. So, but I'll put the link in the com- in the information below. I always say comments. I don't know why I say that. Wait, before we go past American Psycho, can I just know what you, what you guys' favorite scene from the actual movies were or actual movie? Oh, dude, I don't know. That's that's it's for one. I haven't seen it in a little while. I just like the movie as a whole, right? And I can I can I can understand why the writer, the original writer of the story, doesn't like it because it's missing all of the parts that were so. Yeah, to him. yeah, he doesn't have anything gore. Although Mary Harden did a great job, I think. I don't. I would have to say that the part where he's talking about Huey Lewis, and that's to me is the biggest scene in the movie. Right. And he cracks the fucking axe in the back of his head. But we do. I do want to bring up one more thing uh, that we didn't uh, mention before, and I we just watched it before we re- uh, recorded tonight. Oh. There's a song that came out whose YouTube channel, and I'll put this in the information below, is called Volp Music. He did. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed. His name is Julian Bamani. He was saying that he kept seeing like a bunch of trailers and movies that are coming out that are like they have these like happy songs that they take and they slow it down and they do like a cover version of it. But it's like real dramatic and it's like slow. Everybody uh, does that. Yeah, it seems so. to be like a popular thing. It right. And so he caught wind so. of that and thought about it. I mean, I've always thought about it. I'm like, they're, they are doing that a lot. Right. So he decided that he wanted to take a, a song and and make it horror like they do in the in the in the trailers. So he did Staying Alive by the Bee Gees and he did a version of that. So I actually really like it. I, I think it's it a really okay. It was okay. Conceptually it's really cool. Yeah, yeah no, I mean uh, the idea behind it and everything. I think he can he executed it really well because I can't even imagine anybody trying to do Staying Alive. <laughs> I kind of didn't really get it. It's such a happy song, right. you know. I kind of didn't know what song he was singing until you told me afterwards. I was like, all right, well, yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> like that now. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was really cool. Um, but if you guys want to check it out, I think it's really cool. You should check it out. There's a link below uh, in the information. And be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel and give him some love on Twitter. We'll put both of those down below. But Julian, thank you so much, man. That was pretty cool, man. Yeah, dude. And it was nice talking to you online. So shout out. Hell yeah, dude. But that's it for the news! The news! Now, we normally do new releases at this segment, but what we're going to be doing now is we're going to be doing the interview that I did personally with Jake West, writer-director. So we're going to go ahead and listen to that right now. Hey guys, we're here with director Jake West, who's directed many films, including Evil Aliens, Doghouse, and many documentaries. Welcome to Beyond the Veil Horror Podcast, Jake. Um, it's great to be here on Beyond the Veil Horror Podcast, and all the way from London. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, so, I guess uh, what I wanted to ask you, I mean, you are originally from London? That's right, that- yeah. I was born in a place called Lambeth, which is by the River Thames, and um, i my parents are both Londoners, and yeah, I, I live in London still now. 
but um, for a bit of my life, I moved away when I was five. Between five and sixteen, I lived in a, in a place called Kent, and then oh. I came. Back, I came back to London after I'd been to film school. You had uh, mentioned that you were a big fan of uh, a lot of uh, movies and such, and that you felt like you kind of got a little bit of a late start in the game uh, for some of your favorite directors. When would you say you first started like getting the inkling that you wanted to do film or little little stories for yourself as a kid, even? Yeah, well, um, I was a kid in the like, well, I was a teenager in the nineteen eighties. So mm-hmm. growing up at growing up at that time, it was a great time to be a film fan because obviously we had the you know the whole explosion of VHS, and there was the, a real chance to sort of catch all of those great you know horror movies from all around the world that you couldn't see before that because they just weren't shown. But VHS opened the doorway to exploring and discovering a lot of filmmakers. And when I was in it, you know, when I was about fourteen, fifteen years old, I was discovering stuff like um, Phantasm and The Evil Dead. Excellent. And I was I was being a little bit critical of myself when I had a late start because I made my first feature film when I was 26. Right. And that that doesn't seem that old, but the thing is back in those days it was a lot more difficult to get films made because you have to make stuff on film. There wasn't like cheap cameras and you know everything was a lot more analog. It was an analog world. Right. And because I was fans of people like um Raimi and uh, Coscarelli when I was hearing about this, when I was reading about them in stuff like Fangoria and the fanzines and, you know, they were saying that they made their first films when they were like kind of 18, 19 years old. So to me, it was kind of like, I was actually like blown away by the fact that it was like an 18 or 19 year old that made the evil dead (laughs) or fantastic because those films have just got so much energy and they're so great. And previously to that, all the films that were being made always seemed to be made by sort of older filmmakers, you know, or more respectable kind of filmmakers, not teenagers. Sure. So, so for me, that was just my inspiration. But living out in Kent at that age, when I was like 15, 16 years old, I didn't really know how to get a career, get into filmmaking. Um, and it was actually video that kind of saved me because it was the birth of video and home video cameras started becoming available. So I saved up for a couple of years and I bought my first um, like video camera, which was a JVC SVHS GR707 camera and I I used to shoot movies with my mates and uh, we just did all sorts of silly stuff but the problem was is that there was no access to any editing equipment at that point because home computers hadn't happened you know it was stuff like ZX Spectrums and Commodore 64s you couldn't edit anything back in those days so it took a while but um, I was lucky enough that the uh, sixth form college I was going to they started a a module um, called Media Art Studies and they got some video editing gear in, which was all, I don't know if you know the format Umatic, which is an old editing format, but they had some Umatic editing suites. So I got a hmm. chance to start editing my footage rather than trying to crash record it from a camera onto a video recorder. So that was, you know, that was the kind of birth of me becoming a filmmaker. And that was about 1987. I would love to see what you actually did. Do you still have some of those tapes laying around? Yeah, I've got, I've got some of my, I mean, I've got a lot of my really early short films on VHS. I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of pretty funny. A lot of them have gunfights and murders. Right. <laughs> there's, there's one called Who Done It, which was a, which was a, 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 a story about who farted in a room. <laughs> and it's, it a, it's a gun movie? Like, they shoot each and other that, over that it? Didn't have guns. The weapons was, the weapon, that was more of a kind of Agatha, Agatha Christie kind of murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But I was very influenced by Sergio Leone, actually. Um, my fav- one of my favorite films of all time is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And when I was a kid, I used to love that film so much. And you know the big gunfight at the end? I was Because I was fascinated 
because I couldn't edit, I used to watch sequences which had a lot of editing and edits in them. So when I started shooting stuff, I, I, in a load of films, I kind of tried to recreate that Sergio Leone gunfight from Good the, Good, the Bad and the Ugly. So that was a kind of way of teaching myself editing. <laughs> No, that's uh. So, but I mean, so you had to do a streaming, like a full shot, like a without any cuts at first, and then you. Well, no, but, but no, but when I could actually, when we had access to, like I say, edit facilities, I just, I just kind of reshot that gunfight in quite a few different films because I, I was always fascinated about how to create, how you create tension and build up just without right. dialogue. Because you know, when you when you're first starting out and you're working with your friends, on the whole, they're pretty lousy actors. So it's <laughs> kind of like if you do stuff with visuals, you can generally build more stuff which isn't so laughable. Rather right. than having kind of teenage gunfighters in you know London isn't really uh, <laughs> that, that scary. <laughs> <laughs> From all the stuff that you've done, I, I know that you're a huge horror fan. And I mean, yes. what would you say? I mean, just as a general question here, I mean, what do you say? the reason that you're drawn to horror, like for you personally? Um, for me personally, what I love about the horror genre is that it, it it's, it's actually a very broad genre. There's a lot with it, you know, there's a lot of different sub-genres within horror, you know, whether it's supernatural or spat, spatter or, you know, kind of um, like suspense or monsters. There's just so many, there's so much stuff that you can do within horror. But what I love about it is it, is it inspires you to use your imagination. And kind of like what's great about a filmmaker is, is, is creating visuals, creating a world which doesn't necessarily exist in the real world. Because let's face it, in the real world, we're not really worried about vampires or ghosts <laughs> or, do you know what I mean? But sure. in film, so that's what it's when you're making a film which uses those, those ideas, it's like you're, you're recreating reality, which I find more interesting than just filming reality. You know, kitchen sink dramas aren't that interesting to me because yeah. they're a bit too much like real life. I like stuff which is different to real life. You know, like when I remember seeing, say, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, it must have been about 1984 or 1985 when I saw that. And I was just blown away by how imaginative it was. You know, if you died in your dreams, then you die for real. And that's just that was such a strong idea, for instance. And I love that. And yeah. it's just, and it's, and you know, the surrealism of the dream sequences, but scary and with a great, you know, with a great idea. And it's those kind of concepts which make you think, wow, there's a lot you can do in horror. And then, for instance, say if you look at um, another another film like uh, by Wes Craven, Last House on the Left, for instance, mm -hmm. how different how different is that from you know um, Freddy Krueger? Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like one's oh, yeah. a great great revenge, and that's a horror film, and the the, the tone of those films are so different. So within the horror genre, there's, you can achieve like a very different result. But if you, if it, it lends itself to imagination. It lends itself to creating something more than just reality. And I love that aspect. Yeah, I feel like there's a just such a connection. It's almost like birthing a child when you get scared as a kid. It's some sort of weird, twisted nostalgia that you hang yeah. on to. And my father told me, You'll never, you'll get over that when you get older. <laughs> I have not gotten over it, and I don't think there's going to be any slowing down anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that that's one of those things. I think culturally, there's been a big shift as well, though, because I think that people, people of a certain age, of a certain generation, you know, they found this kind of material quite offensive, right? right? Because they, because you know. People who were in their in their sort of fifties in the nineteen eighties, because you know we had this big problem, the video nasty scare in the UK, Correct. 
which yeah. I made a couple. I made a couple of documentaries about that. And if you've seen them, and you look at the news reporting and the and the way that a certain generation reacted to this stuff, they they were genuinely sickened by this sort of stuff, and they just couldn't understand it. They were, you know, and I don't think that they were being complete dicks all the time. Some of them were, but a lot of right. them just they just couldn't get their head around why people would enjoy stuff like that, Be- because they came from a different time where they just weren't used to seeing any anything like that that kind of material. Right. You know, you know, for them, seeing the cover of Driller Killer was a bit too much for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> they thought it was the fall society. Yeah, exactly. And um, But I think that things have changed a lot. And, you know, I'm a generation, I think you are, where we actually grew up with horror films and we're really comfortable with them. And right. if you look at the younger kids now who are into horror, they I don't think that their parents are saying to them, you shouldn't watch them. Whereas when I was growing up, the parents, some people's parents were saying, you shouldn't watch them. And I think that we just accept movies in a bigger way now than we did back in those days. I agree. Yeah. I, or, or, I, or a different way, you know. I think, you know, some parents were a little weird around my age that wouldn't let their kids watch it. My parents would always say, if, if it scares you, just turn away. Yeah. Well, that's a, yeah, to me, that's a healthy attitude, though. It, it's the parents that aren't worried about it. The, the kids aren't so fucked up. It's the ones that are repressed normally have problems later on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry about the ones out in the open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but, but normally people who are interested in this, you know, I find that most horror fans are reasonably well adjusted. Not all of them, but most. <laughs> right. No, I, and I, and I really think you did an amazing job on the two video nasty movies that you did. They're very comprehensive. It's, very interesting. I mean, I'm not from the UK, uh, but it, it can like comparing it to the MPAA out here and what you guys went through out there. It's it's very similar in a lot of yeah, ways. I, yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, censorship and you know, in all of its forms, generally tends to be very restrictive. And you know, in the UK, it was particularly bad. But in a sense, the irony is 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 that because we we were all part of that and we all railed against that censorship we right. all became we all became I, I may not have been a filmmaker if that hadn't have happened and so many people owe their careers to to this stuff kicking off and so actually maybe it was a good thing because it gave us something to react to so in yeah. a sense you know that 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 kind of increased our intensity towards it in some ways but by being told we weren't allowed to to watch that stuff so you know when you spent three or four years trying to find a video nasty that you're trying to you know which like you know, trying to find cannibal apocalypse for like three years and then you finally see it and it blows your mind. That is an amazing <laughs> feeling. Whereas these days you would just go on the internet and you'd have it like five seconds later. So it wouldn't mean as much. Yeah. So in some ways we were lucky because we had to become connoisseurs. We had to become detectives and maybe that was a good thing. Do you have a particular decade, by the way, that you love? Well, well, I mean, I, I, I love the 80s because I was a teenager, in right. it, you know, and because, of, you know, I got, I got to see like films like Evil Dead 2 at the cinema and the Nightmare on Elm Street films and, you know, just stuff like that was so amazing. And um, I don't know if you know about Don Coscarelli's just done a 4K remaster of Phantasm. Yes. Yeah, we've talked about I, that. It's amazing. Oh, right. Yeah, I don't know if you know that I did the Phantasm documentary. Today, the I piece. actually, one of my questions was actually about yeah, that. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> When I was a teenager, I only saw Phantasm on, on video. I got it from my local video shop, and I've still got the copy that I, I, I hired when I was a 14-year-old. I've got it up on my shelf behind me. But I love that film so much, and I never had a chance to see that in the cinema. But with the 4K remaster, Don came over just a month ago, and we saw it as part of the London Film Festival. So I got to see Phantasm finally in the cinema with a big audience, yeah. and it's such a great experience. And 
that's kind of I think that's why I love the 80s so much for me because I got to see those films films like Society with an audience in a cinema right and that, that was really special when you because horror films those kind of horror films work brilliantly when you've got a big audience Hellraiser amazing with a big audience you know stuff oh, like absolutely that. I feel like they just don't make movies like that anymore. And what an honor to be able to be a part of the actual documentary of, uh, I believe it was called Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria, that's correct, yeah. yeah. Which was an amazing documentary. And I actually, um, one of my uh, buddies who, uh, through one of the horror websites, uh, it's called Horror Amino, if you're not familiar, but he he actually, I told him I was going to be talking to you, and uh, he was super excited, and he wanted to ask you about what the inspiration was for that, but it seems like, you know, that's the inspiration. Don Coscarelli was one of your first movies that yeah. you just fell in love with. Oh, man, yeah, because what what happened with Phantasmagoria, the documentary, and it's, it's unbelievable, because I was speaking to Don about this, I mean, we did that 11 years ago now. And it's just ridiculous how that seems to have passed in no time. Um, right. And we were very lucky to do that documentary because I was such a big Phantasm fan. Um, yeah. the, the guy I work with, my partner in Nucleus Films, is a guy called Mark Morris. And we had started doing like DVD extras work for a company called Anchor Bay, which I think you probably know in the States. Of course, yeah. They, they had a UK, a UK like version of it. With, and that was run by a guy called Mo Claridge, who was a who was a really big innovator in the UK VHS video scene originally, and then he went into DVD. And we were lucky enough to do work for him. And um, because, like, I love Phantasm so much, we, when we found out he was licensing the films for a box set, one to four, um, we said to him, look, we love this so much. Could you, Would you allow us to do a documentary about it? Uh. And, in the, and in the past, he had been doing a lot of work with... Um, like Blue Underground and David Gregory and Carl Daft and those guys, because David's based in the States, but they were doing something for Phantasm, but we begged him and said that we could do something really special. And we kind of talked him into it. So we were lucky and we, we flew out to LA. We, we hooked up with Don and Don introduced us to everybody. He drove us around. For me, it was a dream come true, man. I was uh, walking, walking on air. I got to meet the tall man, Angus Scrim, you know, um, wow. Just like, uh, we were hanging, hanging around with Reggie Bannister, hanging around with Cat Lester. It was just, <laughs> it was a dream come true, man. <laughs> it's like a kid in a candy store. I yeah. wouldn't even be able to, how to contain myself. I'm like, am I dreaming right now? Is this really happening? Yeah. And, and Don said to, Don said, because I'm such a big fan of the films, Don said to me, even I was asking questions that even he had never thought about. So he was really pleased with what we did. So that was just one of those dream jobs. And, you know, th and that's one of the films that influenced me. And he was one of the filmmakers that influenced me. And now I'm lucky enough to call him a friend. Do you know what I mean? And that's a that's wonderful, amazing. wonderful thing. Yeah, I really, I really love uh, the idea. It was so fresh and original. Uh, I just, I don't know. It has like the first one in particular for me. I do like the second one. Yeah. Uh, but the first one just, I don't know, there's something about it that just had so much mystery to it. Yeah, the first one, I think it's because it's so unselfconscious as well. It's just like the performances are really great. You know, the the, the relationship between, you know, the brothers, um, Jody and Mike, is just really heartwarming. And there's, you know, there's some really lovely performances in there. And you get the feeling that they really were friends. And right. I think that comes over on screen. And what Don was doing a lot of stuff which then got copied in later films. I mean, like A Nightmare on Elm Street borrowed heavily on some of those dream sequence ideas. Right. You know, like hands coming out of the grave and walking through the mud and not getting anywhere. You know, all of that stuff Don did quite a few years before anyone else. So he was ahead of the curve, you know, and it is, it's a great movie. If anyone out there on Beyond the Veil hasn't watched it yet, go and watch Phantasm. Yeah, really. <laughs> Shame on you if you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> You've done quite a few feature films. 
Uh, one of the first ones, I believe, was in 1998, the razor blade smile. That's correct. That was my first feature. Yeah, my debut. Have you ever considered revisiting some of those characters and at any, any point whatsoever? Well, it's, it's interesting you should say that because I did actually write a sequel to it. But um, because the when, when we made that film, it was made on a, like a really low budget. It was a £20,000 movie, which wow. was shot on 16 mil with a crew of eight people. So it was, you know, I never, I, I, at best, I thought we would get a, like a VHS video release. Because this is, this is predates DVD, like the sort of birth of DVD, which is right. starting to release that film. And, um, you know, we were amazed at the response we got to it when we took it to the, the Cannes Film Market and Festival. And, you know, people went nuts for it. And we all started getting offers from people saying they would give us a theatrical release. And, you know, we had a couple of companies fighting over it. But because it had been shot on 16 mil and, I had only I had only mastered it up on on beta SP tape because I just transferred the rushes as cheaply as possible onto video and cut it on video. So we had no film print of it. So it, we had to go back and they they gave us money to to basically go back and I had to eye match it all and then get the neg cut and then get it blown up to thirty five mil. Then do a proper cinema cell mix. Wow. So most of the money most of the money was spent on bumping it up for a thirty five mil release because that was the only way to release films back then. It had to have a thirty five mil print, and that was a laborious and expensive process when you'd shot on sixteen mil on short ends. <laughs> sure. So sorry to go back to your original question. Um, mm-hmm. Because of that, we we did a deal with a company. Um, you, you you probably know like um, Island Records. Um, but anyway, Manga were they, they they they're the guys that picked up the movie. But because they they picked up the movie, they you know I I was kind of first time where I didn't necessarily do the best deal on it. So they picked up the rights for twenty five years. So they still own the rights for another I don't know it's another sort of twelve years or something. Yeah, it's going to be a while. Jeez. Yeah, before it returns to me. And the thing is, is that they own all of the rights to all of the characters and everything in the deal that we we did. But they they did. I did get a bit of money out of them to write a sequel to it, which I wrote. This is in like about you know two thousand, and I really liked it. It was it was called uh, it, the working title was actually Razor Wired Snarl. <laughs> oh, nice! That's it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and then it was then I retitled it to, because a lot of people couldn't quite get their, their head around that, so it was retitled um, Razor Base Mile Two: The Devil's Vendetta. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was basically Lilith Silver versus the Devil. <laughs> wow. And That's crazy. Great- so did they, did they like it or is it just... Well, they, um, they liked it, but the problem was is because the first film was made on such a low budget, this second film was, was it would have needed quite a, a lot bigger budget and I don't think they wanted to spend the money that it was going to take to do it. This, you know, So I kind of misjudged that. So I should have really written a film that could have been achieved on a, on a lower budget. Right. Um, so it's kind of like, and because of the fact that they own the characters and they own that script, I can't really do anything with it though right so that that's kind of the reason that i haven't gone back to it because i i would do so if if you know if there's anyone, anyone out there at manga who or palm pictures if you know um let's see if if uh marvin glyker's out there or, or patty fister or any of you guys who i work with back in the in the day you know and you you think you might want to resurrect that script give me a shout <laughs> hey someone asked about it so you know there's obviously other people out there 
Yeah, no, people, like I say, a lot of people like that film. And, you know, for me, it's just, it was my first movie. And obviously I can see all the problems with it. It was, it was such a low budget film. But, you know, a lot of people really like those characters. And I did want to do more with those characters. I did want to do something bigger with it. And we did do something. So it's just one of those things. It's one of those things where I did the work, but then it never got made. So there you mm -hmm. go. Like, welcome to the film industry. <laughs> I mean, there was a little bit of a gap in between that movie and then your next uh, feature. Yeah, well, well, partly that was because I had written this 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 uh, Rose Base Mile sequel, right. which in the end didn't get made, and which you were trying you know, to get off the ground. Yeah, and I was a pretty you know I was a pretty slow writer in those days, and even though after I'd done Rose Base Mile, because you know all of the money on that film was spent on getting it released in cinemas, and I, it's not like I made a bunch of money. It wasn't like a it wasn't like an international massive hit. It sold right. around the world and it made money for people, but because they had paid us a kind of lump sum to get the thing actually bumped up to 35 mil. I, it, I wasn't kind of in that position where I was being thrown loads of other things to, to do. So it took me a while. And then I was writing some others because I, after the, the vampire, you know, the sequel didn't happen, the razor based smile one, mm -hmm. I was thinking, I was thinking, Hey, what I'd really like to do is I'd like to do is, and this is, this is like, um, must be like, 99 or 2000 at this point i was thinking what i'd like to do is i'll do a zombie film because nobody's done one of those for fucking like 10 15 years right at I that just, time especially even, yeah. even though this sounds ludicrous to say this now because every fucking <laughs> other film is a zombie film now back in those days nobody was making zombie films right there was actually no there was no zombie films and because producers for whatever reason they did not want to make zombie films back at that point and i pitched this zombie film and i i wrote a zombie film as well that's um, crazy which was called the dead and the damned which is this crazy zombie film, which which I loved. But once again, producers thought it was going to be cost too much money because of the amount of makeup effects we would need and bloody blah, blah. And because I'd only done one very low budget film, they didn't trust me with that kind of budget. So it's so a lot of the set pieces from The Dead and the Damned, I retooled for Evil Aliens. Well, I, that was actually my first film that I saw of yours. Uh, at cool. least that I knew. I you know I When I saw that one, I was like, wow, this is just... Crazy, and I, I I always remember the sex scene. I'm like, wow, this is really. Uh, I was like, uh, I don't know what to think about this. <laughs> well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said that because um, with with that film, my when I was making it, like a lot of people were going, Jake, do you really want to do the, the scene like that? And it's like it's a bit offensive. And it's kind of like my my mantra for that film was, I'm making this film as a present to my 16 year old self. Right. So all of the things that I wanted to see as a teenager, I wanted to do when I made evil aliens. So that's why I, you know, there was no thing, such thing as any, nothing could go too far in my opinion, because it was a, <laughs> spat stick, it was a spat stick film. There was no reason to take any of it seriously. It was designed to be fun. Absolutely. It was like, I, I wanted to give people the kind of sense of fun that I had when I was watching like evil dead for the first time and phantasm and all of those movies where I just watched them. And because with those movies, you just couldn't believe what was happening on screen and you couldn't really predict where it was going to go. And that's what I wanted to make a film like that. Whereas if you just stopped it like sort of 20 minutes in, you go, what the fuck is going to happen? And I don't <laughs> believe that you could predict what's going to happen to them because you just, you know, it was one of those things where I just wanted to go left, take left turns all the time. I got to ask, cause they were in a graveyard and they were having sex on a tombstone. <laughs> Any phantasm, uh, thing with that well i'm sure I, I think that there's there's a lot of phantasm references in that film right <laughs> so so i think that i've 
you know, one thing about Evil Aliens is what's really nice is that, that I've put so many little touches in. And if people know horror films, then that, that they can get a lot more out of it. But I don't want to spoil it by necessarily pointing to each right. one. Some are very obvious and some are much more sort of coded, just little moments. But you might be right. <laughs> I'm going to say I am. Because <laughs> that's what I thought of as soon as I saw that scene. I was yeah, like, oh, think, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the only difference is it's not a graveyard. It's a stone circle. That's the only difference. <laughs> right. But yeah, but it kind of reminded but, me of but it's that. The same, so, yeah. It's exactly the same kind of vibe. Yeah, it's just opening with a kind of sex scene which goes wrong <laughs> very wrong <laughs> what kind of what kind of budget did you have for that movie okay that movie was um like was like a a low budget but it was a good low budget compared to the first film so that was like about two hundred eighty-seven thousand pounds oh wow yeah and um so that was a you know decent budget and we had and we had money to do all of the visual effects and all of the it's a pretty crazy like it's a crazy film in a sense of when you broke that script down people were going how the fuck are you going to do this and it's kind of like i'm not sure <laughs> but we we kind of just we the attitude was like let's just fucking see see what we can do like it was just just try not to censor ourselves and just think that it might be possible so there are a lot of things that we weren't sure how we were going to do them like the combine harvester sequence for instance oh i love and, that scene yeah, and like a combine harvester is a deadly piece of machinery and it's a big fucking dangerous thing. Right. And there's not many people that would really allow you to use a combine harvester and put sort of shit gore through it. But a friend of mine, his his parents, were they owned a farm. And it's actually a guy, another filmmaker, I don't know if you've ever spoken to him, you know his work, a guy called Adam Mason. Me and Adam were friends at that point because we used to go to Fright Fest, the horror film festival, and we met okay. there and we we became friends. Um, and yeah, like, so when I was putting evil aliens together, I kind of just reached out to different people that I knew. I said, you know, this, can anyone help us with this, you know, with these sort of sequences? And he said, you know, his parents owned this farm and it was a working farm. So we went and met up with his parents and said, would you let us shoot our crazy horror film here? Now, <laughs> most, far most farmers would have said no, but because their son was a horror filmmaker, they right. said, yes, you know, so we, awesome. we yeah so and basically we kind of we kind of lucked out on that because what that meant is is we had access to a working farm and that was basically our studio that became and it's a fucking big place as well man so we had everything we needed there so you know we basically relocated everything to that farm and the, the, the whole shoot people were staying on site or just outside of it and you know it was an amazing amazing place and without that one without that one element i don't think we could have made it do you see what i mean so sure lucky um, well, I was curious about that scene when the combine harvester goes over one of the aliens, and I see it shoot out the back. Oh, Did that, that really run over it? Because it that, looks that, that, that's that that's that's a visual effect. <laughs> okay, it looks so good though. Oh, it was yeah, like <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you like that because we did put a lot of shit through the front of the combine harvester, but it didn't actually go through. We attached bits of gore to it. Right. Um, but the bit when he runs over, I'm really pleased you did that because that was a that was a. Um, a composite shot that I did and I was, I, you know, it was myself and a mate who did all the visual effects in that, that film. Right. And we spent, we spent a year doing about 134 visual effects shots. And, uh, we, we had, we bought like a, we had a little render farm of like four computers strapped together in my front room. And, um, this was, I lived in a basement flat in Camden at the time in London. And, uh, like the landlady came down one day, but she was a bit worried. The electricity bill had gone up about a thousand percent. <laughs> 
<laughs> she said, well, do, you know, do you know anything why this is happening? She came down to my flat and I had all these computers strapped together and we were rendering all of the, the, all of the visual effects, all of the CG stuff, because it took forever to do it at that quality back then. Right. And, uh, and, you know, even though now it's very dated and, you know, the CG has moved on massively since then. But, but we did that all ourselves. And, we, we, you know, this was in 2003 that we were doing this. We spent a year in that. So I had my own little visual effects facility to do that. <laughs> oh, man. I actually didn't mind the CGI at all. I thought it was really good. And, and oh, thanks, the tone of the movie was actually it, it just it fit. Like, it didn't feel out of place. It just kind of fit. Like, to me, I got the tone of the film right off the bat. So uh, I'm glad you like it. I mean, some people have a lot of problem with CGI stuff. and they. Uh, but look, all of the, most of the, like, the go- we did, mo- you know, we built everything as prosthetics. Right. You know, as, I mean, all of the stuff when you're seeing people ripped up and gore, that's right. But we did enhance a couple of bits when we didn't always have enough blood. And people didn't like any of the splats we did, which are slightly CG. So I kind of regret doing that now. But most of I mean, we used so much blood on that, that show, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was quite a bit. Yeah. So, but that was, that was great. You know, to me, that was great fun. That was like being a kid in a candy store doing all the things that you aren't supposed to do. <laughs> I got to ask, this is one of the things that's been stuck in my head because I rewatched the movie, obviously, recently here. The Wurzel Zong song uh, that they yes, did the yes. combine harvester song i cannot get that out of my head now oh man well that you, that was a number one hit in the uk that's right that, and because and that was a number one hit i think in like the 70s when i was a really small kid and it was a song which was always it's such a ridiculous song and i, I believe in the states you had a song by melanie called I've yes who pair of roller skates that's what i was wondering which came first I'm not but, sure. I think there's a hit. You have to look up the history, but I think maybe the roller skates might. But the, the Wurzels are this country band, so they changed it to Combine Harvester if it, if it was second. And it's such a ridiculous song, but it was, a, it was a number one hit in the UK, so everyone knew that song. Um, but because it was a number one hit in the 70s and it was a comedy song, it, like the biggest problem was getting the licensing for it. And it looked like at one point we wouldn't be able to afford to, to license it for the film. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And I spent ages working on the investor, telling him that we had to have this song because he was trying to say, "Why don't we get a sound alike? Why don't we get somebody else to do like a version of it?" I said, "No, you've got to have the actual. You've got to have the actual song oh, because yeah. it." But so in the end, I, I managed to squeeze like an extra sort of batch of money just to get the song, and that's also that's become one of more, a lot of people's favorite bit in the film. So I'm so pleased that we we managed to get that. You know? Yeah, I think that was a good call. I definitely do. Yeah, because that's me and Pat in particular, who is also on the show here. He he loves that part with me. So uh, yeah, great. Well, I, I was always in half a mind whether I was going to do like a sort of sing along bit for that, where you had a little bouncing ball with the lyrics on screen. But I can't. <laughs> I kind of felt better of it because some people might have found that you know a little but, too over the top. But, but it's kind of like it's it's kind of like you know I reckon somebody on the internet should do that because it's a fun idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. We get the ball rolling, guys. If you're listening and you hear yeah. this, yeah, like the kind of spastic horror song sing along. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it would be okay. And for me, I think that would be fun. I'd be perfectly okay with that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was just one of the ideas I had, but I didn't do. But yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that. And like I said, a lot of people they they always go away from that thinking of that. So it's one of those things which really worked. Um, a little bit later, you you probably you as you call it, Doghouse is can you consider to be your debut film? Excuse me. Do I? Oh, how do I've I, heard how, you say that in an interview where you said that uh, you feel like that's your debut film or your that's your first real future film. Well, what, um, what what I meant by that is it because it's the first it's the first real film where I had a 
like a proper budget right. and uh, and I was working with established actors gotcha so, okay so it's 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 the first kind of film which is would be considered like a you, you know like in someone's career they work with like a professional like a a, a real movie in the sense of it being with yeah, when we had, we had we had a proper theatrical release, it was Sony that picked it up in the UK, and you know, so for me that was like, so. But I'm not I'm not belittling my my work before. Okay, it. yeah, that, yeah so I was going to say because Evil Aliens is great. I was like, I love that movie. So, oh yeah, no, I mean, I do as well. So for me, my debut film is basically is is Razor Blade Smile, but right. in sense in the sense of when people say, you know. So I'm not negating that. It was more the fact that I felt that that's the first film where I really had done something with the kind of cast that that you 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 know you getting to work with someone like Stephen Graham. Like we got him on the film. He you know he he had just done Public Enemies with Michael Mann, and then right. he was going. On, he did he did Doghouse, and then after that he went straight to New York to do to do um, Boardwalk Empire, being directed by Martin Scorsese. So I got yeah. him. Between, Scorsese and man, <laughs> which so, is pretty, yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. I, so, I, so for me, it was just a chance to work at what was a bigger level, you know, really. And you had a really great cast. All those actors did really well uh, and they're all doing like big work now. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was just a, it was just great because on that movie we had like a, about 1.6 million. So right. that's a substantial difference. Do you know what I mean? In terms of the way that you could like, we spent 12 weeks building the town for instance, on that. Because mm-hmm. that town didn't exist. We built it at a hospital complex, um, like a disused hospital out in a in Midhurst in, a, in Sussex, which is just outside of London. And, you know, we built that entire, lot of the, all the, the rows of houses and all the shops, you know, that was all built. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's a... How long did it take to put together? Well, to, well, to, to do the... To build the town, we had 12 weeks of construction work. Wow. Um, which was fantastic. So, you know, and then, you know, all of the zomba, all the different zombies, they all were, they were all individually designed. You know, I worked with a, uh, a great comic book, comic book artist and a guy called James Ryman. And he does a lot of fantasy art as well. If you look up James Ryman's work you, on the, look at his stuff on the internet, he's a brilliant artist. And we designed each individual character to have their own physical traits. And then we work with a, makeup designer and we sculpted all those characters and they all had their own bibles and you know we had a team of of makeup artists one one for each character basically it was a brilliant yeah i think they were really great uh zombie characters like they were just so unique to each and and their own abilities and what they did and like one had scissors one had the cleaver they were the cook the 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 surgeon like all those different ones, I thought that was really great. Exactly. So, so for me, it was the the, the first time, perhaps as a director, where I felt that I really had the the time and the, the to get the kind of detail into the vision that I wanted to have. Because when you're doing lower budget films, there's always a lot of compromises. Like you can't get necessarily the things that you want to do, so you have to figure ways around of doing it. And often, you know, like um, sometimes restrictions are the mother of invention. But sometimes having enough money to do it how you want. So it was for me. It was just the, it was the difference between you know, welcome to this world and from having come from the very low budget world before that. So not that, you know, once again, that's, that's the, that's the path where you go. I mean, I guess filmmakers in the States, you know, like I've met a lot of filmmakers in on the festival circuit over the years who, you know, have worked in America and, you know, those guys go from their really low budget films to doing big studio pictures and, you know, from doing something for a few hundred thousand dollars, then they're doing stuff for like 10, 20 million. Um, Yeah. 
so do you, do you know what I mean? But in the UK, you just can't get those kind of budgets. So getting a, a budget over a million in the UK is a is a pretty decent budget. I know that with the cast, I mean, it seemed like they all really kind of worked really well together. Was it was it was there really good camaraderie on the set? Yeah. Well, the thing I mean, the thing with a film like that, because it was about this bunch of guys who are going away to try and cheer up their mate because he's depressed because he's getting divorced. And mm-hmm. you know, ironically, they're trying to prove to him that the women, not all women, are out to get him. And in fact, they are, and they're out to get them, and they can't handle their own relationships with women anyway. So that's the whole kind of that's the whole kind of setup for us to laugh at these guys because you know, Mel, when when you put a bunch of guys together, they act very differently to how they do around their partners. Um, so we just love that whole that whole kind of setup. And to get the cast right, it was trying to get a bunch of guys that you you genuinely believe were friends that were mates. So for us, it was. For me, well, for me, I was delighted. But the, when these guys got together, they really bonded with each other. Because for me, for me as a director, the biggest nightmare is if they didn't get on, you, and you had to pretend right. that was really difficult. But because they got on in real life, they had that on screen, and that's the one thing you can never predict if that's going to happen. So I was so so delighted that that did happen with those guys. Yeah, it seemed they worked really well together, like all of them. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. We really did. Well, I mean, I wanted to ask you, um, I know Dan uh, Schaffer, I believe I'm yeah, saying Schaefer, his name. I think it's Dan Schaefer. I wasn't but sure. Some I, was... people, I think some people say Schaffer, but when I think he called, we, we call him Dan Schaefer. <laughs> Dan Schaefer, okay. Well, he's, he... a, he's a brilliant, like, uh, yeah, he's a, a brilliant um, comic book creator. That's, that's what I was going to ask you about. Did he come up with the entire concept or did you guys work together on that? Well, basically, we um, he he was a fan of my early films. He's a big, he was a fan of... Um, both Razor-Based Smile and Evil Aliens. And, okay. Uh, I was actually doing an interview about Evil Aliens uh, for a Camden magazine called The Lock magazine, London magazine. And it was a kind of, the journalist was like a kind of, like a goth girl. It was really cool. And mm-hmm. um, she was she was good friends with, with Dan Schaefer. And she said to me, um, oh, my mate Dan likes your movies and he's this great comic book creator. Do you know his comics? And she, and I said, I hadn't, and at that point, I hadn't heard of Dog Witch and and she said, I think you'd love his comics. And she said, I'll tell you what, I'll say, I'll get, I'll, I'll send, I'll bring some copies of this for you. And and normally, when a journalist says that, you think oh, I'll never hear from them again. But she came back, true to her word, about a week later, she came round up to Camden and dropped these comics off for me. And I was just blown away by them, and I loved his work. And um, because she was friends with him, we then got to meet and we became friends. And for a couple of years, we were just talking about, wouldn't it be great to do a film? Because he had, you know, he he had actually written a screenplay for. Um, for Dogwich, but that would need like it, it would need a lot of money. You'd need to do that in a kind of Tim Burton esque manner to really right. do. So, you know, so you'd need like studio money to really get that film to the level it would need to be. But we were looking to do something that we thought we could do on a lower budget, and the zombie thing, you know, was happening. And um, a lot, of, you know, we thought it, a bit, it was a bit tapped out even at that point because, unlike when I had done Dead and the Down many years before, which didn't get made by the yeah. point we. We were we were in like 2007 at this point, and it's like zombies. Zombies were big big news, and we were thinking, well, maybe it's getting a bit tired. But one day, um, his girlfriend she had like the flu and she was ill. And when when he got home one day, he, he like he saw his girlfriend coming towards him with quite a snot coming down her nose and like kind of groaning. And he just thought, humorously, he thought she reminded him of a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and, and that that's that triggered the the idea in Dan. It's like, well, what if you had a virus which only affected one gender? And because I mean, Dan's a Dan's a feminist, and he's like really into that, like a uh, 
you know, the, like playing around with um, the sort of the battle of the sexes thing. Right. And then that, that, that really sparked that off. And we, we just like riffed on that. But Dan went away and wrote the script. I mean, it's his work as a writer. But I, I kind of encouraged him in terms of structure and, um, you know, how to get this working as a film. So we, I, I was lucky that, you know, he's a great writer and we had this great script which I then showed to a producer and the, and immediately they loved it. And then that's how we, that went into production. So we, we got lucky with that the first time out. Definitely. I uh, think that was a great film. I like all of them. Uh, and it seems like it just gets progressively better, which begs the question, you know, is there going to be another film, that, another feature? Well, well, I've been, I've been working on a number of things. Um, it's, it's, it's actually myself and Dan Schaefer who, um, who, who wrote Dan, who wrote that film. Um, he wrote me another film, um, which for the last, well, for three, nearly four years, we were trying to get off the ground, which was a, um, a, a bit different. It was a bit, a bit more kind of um, like a, it's very graphic novel based, but it was more about, it was about a hitman who had to fake his own hits and uh, like um, with like a crime lord drug boss coming over from the States trying to take over the London drug scene. And it was kind of like a graphic novel version like a somewhere between I don't know somewhere between say Snatch and um, you know Ocean's Eleven <laughs> or something. Okay. Um, but we tried to get that film off the ground, and we were very close to getting it financed. But once again, it was a film that needed more money, and because right. of that, we needed to get quite a big cast together for it. And we almost had that together, but after four years, it collapsed. Just we, we were like a couple of weeks away from starting it, but then the, the finance didn't come together. So. Mm. I'm kind of gutted by that. So I spent a long time trying to get that film made. And then off the back of it, I, you know, I have to earn some money as well. So I had to, you know, do other work and bits and bobs. So and then I didn't have any other scripts which were ready to go when we, when eventually we just couldn't get that over the line. So for, over the last couple of years, I've been working on some other films. Um, right. I've got, I've got a, I've got a werewolf film called Feral, which has a high concept, okay. uh, which I won't go into though, but I've got a couple of producers attached to that. And we are very keen on getting that one made, um, which is looking like that could happen next year. Um, I'm, a, I'm attached to um, an underwater horror thriller film called nice. Relics. Yeah, which we shot a proof of concept for, but I can't show it to anyone because it's for it's for like financiers and uh, right. like um, the powers that be. But um, the the producers with that are the American film market at the moment. So if that gains some traction because people like the they like the proof of concept we shot for that, um, that's like this great underwater horror thing. Um, so, you know, there's a couple of things which are bubbling, but until until you've got the money, Alex, is you're not oh, making yeah. a film. And because I've been trying to progressively try and get more money for each film I've done, I've kind of resisted the temptation to go back and do something on a lower budget. Right. Not that I wouldn't do it, but. It's it, it, you just have to get yourself into a different mindset because, but you know if, if these if if these bigger films don't happen, then I will go off, go back and do something on a lower budget, basically. Sure. But because of the because the way that the film industry has changed over the last few years, and I'm sure you you're probably aware of this. Sure. But but basically the DVD because of the, like DVD Blu-ray sell the internet has really affected the independent model financing model. Absolutely. Um, and because of people, you know, like piracy and streaming and all these things, it now makes it very difficult for independents to get budgets together for make for films to get the money. Like, so making a film, you know, in that over over a million pounds, like one to three million pound bracket, it's hard to get your money back unless you get a very good release. Right. Because 
is once a film gets pirated in one territory, then, you know, it gets pirated all over the world and, you know, you, you lose a lot of income and it's still very hard to make money back on the VOD streams and stuff as an independent producer. I'm sure people like Netflix do well, but the, but the a lot of money doesn't end up going back to the producers a lot of the time. So uh, yeah, I'm sure it's nothing pennies. Yeah. So what's happened is is that that's kind of squeezed that low budget end, and it's changed the market. So you know, I, I, I guess you speak to filmmakers quite a lot. Maybe they've talked about this. It's so it's just got harder to make films on a decent budget, particularly in the UK where people don't want to spend the money a lot of the time unless you have a big cast attached. Right. Yeah. And you know, being an artist. I typically try to buy everything physical. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, and you're a fan as well. And, you know, yeah. there, there, there are a lot of people that do that. But I think that there's a certain – I think people who who grew up with the internet, though, who are a certain age, they're just not used to buying physical products. And they don't right. – they, they kind of don't value it in the same way that we do. It's too easy. Yeah. And the thing is, is that the problem is, is that you can go online now and download anything. It's, you know, like literally within seconds or stream it. And right. But for a lot of people, I think the temptation is too much for them to want to buy stuff. I mean, let's say we come from a collector's generation, so we like collecting stuff, physical. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in my room and I've got thousands of DVDs and Blu-rays around me. Right. <laughs> but I'm obsessed, you know, but I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of people I know who are the same as me. But there's also a lot of, like a newer generation who I don't think they're into physical product. And physical product is dying a bit as well, apart from, you know, it's becoming more of a collector's thing now. Right. Hopefully it will... Not go the way of the dodo and perhaps stay like vinyl in some degree, I yeah, hope. I, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you know as well that I run Nucleus Films and we run a cult DVD label. Absolutely. We, yeah. So, um, you know, because so we're very much involved in that kind of scene, you know, because we love, we, you know, not only am I a filmmaker, but I love releasing, like getting these cool cult movies released for an audience. And we try and do great collector's editions and packages of films that we love, you know, and we've re released some really great movies like Craze and Death Ship. You know, and you, for the House of Death and all sorts of great, crazy movies. Well, I mean, and and I was going to ask you about Nucleus Films. Your work with uh, Mark Morris. Yeah, yeah, Mark Morris, who is a bit, who's considered, you know, one of the big, you know, all-time aficionados of all cult, of things cult movies. I mean, right. you, you could do a podcast with him if you want to. Because, yeah, I thought about that. I was like, man, we should probably have him on too. But I was yeah. just, but if, if you want to, if you want to know anything about like, um, you know, like cult movies from like the sort of 60s through to the 80s, he knows everything. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a really good partnership with you guys there. Yeah, well, well at the moment, I mean, I, I don't know, you may have seen it on Facebook, but we are doing a, a Eurocult restoration project. It's called the Nucleus Films Eurocult Restoration. And um, we are trying to, we've, we've got an Indiegogo campaign to raise money to restore Lady Frankenstein and Death Laid an Egg, both Italian cult classics, and they're great movies. So, if you go into Indiegogo or my my Facebook, you'll you'll see the links for that. So, um, I'm going to post that in the information below yeah. for you, so for sure, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be terrific. Um, but obviously, if you if you want to pledge, though, you've got to make sure in the states that you've got like you can play multi-region. Do you have a multi-region player? Right. Gotcha. Mister Blu-ray will be region B. You kept because we've we've got to license it from the Italians for Region B, but there are a lot of people who have, who have multi-region players who can play stuff. So if you're a collector with a multi-region player, then you can order it because we have had a lot of orders from the states for it. But check out the campaign, and if you can tell your podcast audience, or we can, if they're interested in seeing uh, like Death Laid an Egg and uh, Lady Frankenstein, you've restored uh, 2K quality for proper Blu-ray release. 
you know, and we may have some quite exciting news on that if you follow the campaign. So absolutely, you know, it's going very well as well at the moment. We're half. Well, that's we're, good we're to coming, hear. We're coming to the halfway point, and we've raised over seventeen and a half thousand at the moment. So wow. we're doing good. <laughs> well, I hope that gets off the ground. And and if you guys are listening, and and you do, uh, even if you just want to support, I mean, you don't necessarily always have to get something, but you can always get it and then buy a, a, a multi-region DVD player or Blu-ray player and uh, play it anyway. So exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you like Eurocult movies, you'll like these. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If you do, you have any dream projects that you would love to work on? If you had an unlimited budget. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I. It's really weird because I, I guess it's hard to think in. It's hard to think in that in that way because uh, there always is a there. There always is a limited budget. But, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I. I think that there's. There's films I would like scripts of mine that I would like to dust off and get made if right. I had an unlimited budget. But that you know, to me, an unlimited budget would just be a few million. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know, um, but I don't. You know, in, in a world where there's so many things, so much stuff now is adaptations of comic books and things like that. I, I'm I'm looking forward to return of filmmakers returning to like original films. You know. Right. Um, we we went and saw. We were lucky enough to see John Carpenter play live. Um, yes, his, his music in London on Halloween this year. He played in London, oh, and man. you know I grew up with a lot of John Carpenter films. And you know, looking when you look back at films like uh, you know, Escape from New York and The Fog and those kind of movies, the fact that they weren't based on comic books and stuff is what made them really stand out. And I'm kind of looking forward to a return to original work from filmmakers rather than just adaptations, you know? Right. So, you know, and also we don't need to keep on remaking these films. Right. We need to come up with new ideas. Yeah. Like and that's they're remaking Suspiria. That. Yeah. Which to me sounds like a bad idea because Suspiria is its own thing. And I don't think that you need to touch that. It's foolish, but I think yeah. it's going to end in tears. But um, at the end of the day, I'm more excited by original work, stuff which isn't predictable, stuff where you don't know where it's going. And I think that what excites me about you know filmmaking in the future is doing stuff which people is going to take them by surprise rather than something that they they think that they know already. Right. So, you know, I, I, I would like looking forward to all of the new original stuff that people are going to be talking about in the in the next 10 years let them remake that stuff in 20 years time but let's start making original stuff again <laughs> well i agree with you 100 percent on that and i think independent film is pretty much helping push that a little bit and i think i think it's starting to show a little bit to the mainstream uh yeah. to the top producers the top execs out there that they're starting to see that they can sort of make money with a good idea even if it is a risk Exactly. Well, it's a, every film's a risk, but you know, right. we, we understand that. But yeah, but you know, I think that that's where you know, as a filmmaker, you need to show a bit of form before they trust you. But you know, I think it's a, the original work, which I think is really exciting, though. You know, and just 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 going back and remaking stuff all the time to me just feels a bit stale. You know, and we don't need that. We need to move on. You know, the world is moving on. Technology is moving on. Let's tell new stories for a generation that that are going to appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, and that's why I love the 80s so much, because they just had so many original ideas. Yeah, but I think it's back then people weren't afraid to be so crazy. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like they weren't so bothered about whether, you know, I mean, if you look at a lot of movies that were made then, they're kind of off the hook, because it's almost like people were, they were, weren't frightened about making stuff which was odd. Whereas these days, everything feels like it has to be marketed. Right. And maybe that's, 
you know, we're in a much more kind of like um sort of industry which feels it has to have, be a commodity. It has to it has to have a sort of set of action figures or it has to have a computer game attached to it. They don't like things which might stand on their own. And, you know, sometimes the more interesting things are things which stand on their own and you, you don't want action figures of. <laughs> well, and, you know, and then sometimes movies that uh, that do have all the things that we're talking about, they become cult films later. It's like they're exactly. not popular in the beginning, but... Exactly, you know, and, and, and sometimes that's the most interesting thing, isn't it? To find out what's going to be that next thing. And that, right. that's what's exciting. So, so you know, let's see how it goes, man, and let's see what's coming down the down the pipe for us all. Well, especially especially now you've got the the Donald. We're all the, the world is facing <laughs> a new horror. <laughs> yeah, that's a new. It's a new horror movie called uh, America coming out this January. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like I say, we we spoke about this I think before we started, but you know, right. we've got we've got Brexit in the UK. You've got the Donald. I mean, I think that that's going to surely that's a lot of material for horror filmmakers to get their heads around. <laughs> and comedians. So, yeah, well, comedians, but comedians are kind of almost like a, they're, they're, they've almost been making a joke of Donald for such a long time now. But then he became president. It's almost like the egg is on their face now. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of laughing at him, we've got to exploit the horror aspects of this. There you go. There's going to be a lot of political horror coming out soon. I, I'm calling yeah, but, it. Yeah, exactly. So maybe that's maybe we're going to see a more politicized horror thing, which could be quite interesting, you know, that's because true. I think it because there's a lot of real people are really scared about the way the world is going now. And that that lends itself to maybe some really disturbing horror movies. I agree 100 percent. Yeah, no. Or, or a lot of great comedy ones. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I think there'll be a mix of the two as well. Cause <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, you know, yeah, I'm interested in seeing that. Um, I don't know if you guys have, uh, in the States, have you seen um, Black Mirror at all? Oh, I love it. Yeah, no. Yeah, because Black Mirror does, I mean, you know, the uh, the one where the Prime Minister has to fuck a pig. I mean, that's yes, pretty far out. the very first episode, yeah. that's right. Yeah, and I'm kind of wondering, maybe in America it's time for something like that with the Donald, you know. <laughs> so i don't doubt that it will happen something is going to come out somebody's going to get mad and then it's just going to come out i think exactly so you know we could be in some terrible times in many ways but interesting times from a horror filmmaking perspective so who knows what's going to happen i want to thank you so much for coming on here it was a pleasure talking to you and uh we really do look forward to what you got coming up so um thank you again man well, cheers, Alex. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, and I hope all the Beyond the Veil podcast listeners enjoy it. So thanks for talking to me. That was our interview with Jake West. Um, it was really an honor to have him on. I really enjoyed talking to him. It really felt like I was talking to one of my friends. Like, Yeah, it was fantastic, man. It's very, really cool. Very, very cool guy. So yeah. I really wish you guys could have been there for that, though. But uh, but it, it's okay. We got to work, right? Well, maybe, you know, Jake West, you're listening. Why don't you come out here and hang out with us? You know? <laughs> we'll show you a good yeah, time. He'll just fly on out yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you're if you want to come out, man, we got to have a drink sometime. So <laughs> let me know when you're in town. Seriously. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, if you guys want to hear the full interview of that, we did shorten that down a little bit. I put that up on YouTube for you guys to hear the entire full interview. So please check that out. The link is in the information below. Again, to re uh, repeat to you, uh, since we were so dumb and forgot to tell it in the beginning of the intro. Because we're not good. Uh, zombie Noms is basically unique horror zombie movies. Comedies. Yeah. 
stuff that we thought were very unique movies that tried to make fun of the zombie genre a little bit. And uh, obviously one of those inspiration is from Jake West, the Doghouse movie, mm. which is very unique. And to kind of give you guys an idea what that story is about, the storyline of Doghouse, a bunch of guys who are friends, one of their friends is getting a divorce. And because he's getting a divorce, they decide to all gather together and try to help each other out by helping him and hanging out and cheer him up, basically. So his life's kind of in shambles and they're, and they're all having issues with their female counterpart in their lives. One guy's like the misogynist, doesn't really remember people's names, just like screws everybody he can. One guy's like in a really good relationship but doesn't appreciate it. So he's like treats her like shit. What other guys like divorced, you know, and then another guy's like, uh, he, well, one of the guys is gay, so he's got like going through shit with his uh, partner, and then there's like another guy who's like in this like really nice relationship, but they're like so superficial. Yeah, but it's like all these guys they meet up, they go to this place called Moodly, and lo and behold, they run into a bunch of zombies, which as Jake West said he calls them zombirds. Because <laughs> they're female? Because they're female, yeah. I noticed one of the guys was from Lockstock to Smoking Barrels. Right. Now, was there anybody else from the cast from that movie? In I this don't one? think so. No. Okay. Just but the, the, the cast was pretty big, and Jake was saying that, it, that they all really got along really well. Yeah. So That's a, That always helps. Yeah, I thought I thought that was really cool. But yeah, the, the really twisted part or kind of like unique thing about this comedy is that the only people that change are the females. Hmm. And so they turn into zombies and they're like characters are so fucking the zombies are so unique. Like each one has like a character. It's like a real character. So it's like really unique in that sense. So did you have any favorite scenes in that at all, Mike? Oh, I, I dig this stuff uh, with the uh, uh, RC car. Yeah. Where they tied the head to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Dude. You know, one thing I did like, I mean, outside of the the that scene in general but going back to the uh the cast man yeah it's a really great cast yeah like uh noah clark yep uh, he's the guy that's in star trek right noah clark. no he's a uh, first season of doctor who reboot yeah but he's also in star trek he may have been well, yeah danny dyer was in it uh he plays a really good dickhead kind of you know like the sh- the male playboy guy you know what i mean oh yeah but yeah noah clark first season of uh doctor who reboot right uh lee Ingleby, he's the dude that was in uh, Azkaban. Oh, Harry okay. Potter. okay. And then one of my favorite guys here, dude, straight up, man, Stephen Graham. Uh, right. He was in uh, a bunch of stuff, man. Gangs of New York, uh, a lot of the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm-hmm. And then he played uh, uh, Boardwalk Empire. Uh, yeah. Uh, Al Pacino. Al no. Uh, yeah, Al, Al Capone. Al Capone. I almost, yeah. almost said Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> but he's fantastic. It's so cool that, uh, you know, uh, they were able to get these kind of like, at the time they may not, may not have been as big as they were. No, they weren't. And that's what he was saying. He was like, at one point, they're going to get really famous, and they did. Which is fucking And this is the movie they're going to be like, oh, wow, they were all in there. Yeah, yeah, there's so many of them. They're so fucking good, man. Right. I didn't get it's to watch so it, but I'm definitely going to watch it because of, what's his name, uh, Stephen Graham. Oh, Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham. Yeah. Yeah, the dude right here, right? Yeah, that He's guy. fucking phenomenal. Yo, it's, dude. I yeah, loved him I'm, in It sucks you weren't able to see it, but I'll let you borrow my copy. Are you sure about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I don't mind, as long as you don't let it out and use it as a coaster like normal. 
<laughs> Fuck you. Why don't you try to use it as a cock ring? I'll fucking, like, I take pride in my babies. Um, but that yeah, uh, I'll let you borrow it. So you got to see that at least. So uh, me and Pat did catch a couple of other movies. Um, one of them, what did, we watched Ah Zombies. Ah Zombies! Ah! Yeah. Which came out in 2007, by the way, and was directed by Matthew Conan. Oh, yeah. You know what the movie kind of reminded me of? Did you guys ever see, uh, what was it, Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got that same vibe. Yeah, it got that same vibe to it, which is really interesting and fun to watch. Right. There was a movie that Jim Jeffries did recently where it's like him against the dead. It's like something against the dead. My mates against the dead. Hmm. Oh, I know what you mean. I've not watched it because I don't know that I want to. My mates and the dead or my mates and the... It's pretty bad. Really? Like, I love Jim Jeffries. I think he's hilarious because he's just so offensive. Like, you know, you can't take him seriously. Um, But it's, it's one of those things where it's like... He's better as a stage comedian, I think, than he is a, as an actor. And I don't mean to be mean to him about that, but I just don't think he's gotten his full stride with acting yet. Or people are not, I don't know. It just doesn't come off, it just doesn't hit like he does on stage. So it's weird to me, but uh, this movie's very similar to that, I would say, but way better. Uh, yeah. Like, way better. What, another thing I really liked about the film, the opening scene, well, it's just the serum that they use in the opening scene to reanimate or to make super soldiers is what right. they're doing. It uh, was definitely reanimator. Re- it, oh, well, because it was green. Yeah, it was neon green. Right. Yeah. Well, they kind of borrow from Return of the Living Dead, reanimator, right, and a few other things. And the interesting tidbit here is that you know that reanimator was the first to use that the glow-in-the-dark liquid. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were the first film to actually use that in a, in a, in a scene. Well, this movie was 2007. And I think it's kind of a very unique gem uh, for a zombie film. Oh, for sure. It's definitely a must-watch if you've never seen it before. If you guys haven't heard of this movie, it's kind of hard to look up. You have to actually type A-A-A-H. Zombies. So <laughs> yeah, You can find it on Amazon Prime. You can, but you have to type it in exactly or it's going to be hard to find. Right. So, I mean, it's it's free for Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. Uh, at least here in the U.S. I don't know about anybody else. But Ah Zombies is a basically they make a super soldier serum that's made by the military, or at least they tell the military soldiers that it's a super soldier serum. Right. Really, they're just testing to try to reanimate people to be, I don't know, whatever they're trying to do. But they have barrels it's for the of the war against marijuana, didn't you know? No, it was not. That's Return of the Living <laughs> Dead. Three, yeah, no. But in the same trope, they have the barrels on the back of the truck. And a barrel falls out. And a of barrel course. falls off. It's just always a like barrel Return that of the Ding. Yeah. Just rolls off. It rolls into the behind a uh bowling alley. And this guy's like un or is loading taking a whole stack of like milk creamer for fucking ice cream into the bowling alley. Some of the ooze, like the barrel rolls, the cap pops off, some of the green shit. And now keep in mind, the entire movie's in black and white at, at this time. So everything's in black and white. It looks like a 50s movie. Huh. And the green stuff that pours out is in color. So it just pours out the green. So it gets on the box. The guy picks up the box. He picks up one of the, the milk things, puts it in the into the ice cream maker. 
the soft serve maker or whatever, and it's green as he's pouring it in. So you get the idea that somehow that this stuff has transferred in there. And it's like this really pushover kind of guy who is with his buddy. And what his buddy is like the like the crazy funny guy. He was my favorite part of the whole. He's film. actually really good in it. Yeah, he was really funny too. That role when you're the funny guy trying to be funny is not easy. Right. As sometimes an actor. you can go a little too far. You know. Yeah, it's 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 hit or miss sometimes. But right. this guy was actually pretty good. I he mean, had he's a steady not, pace for he's, sure. He's not perfect. He's funny though. Like he, I think he had a good flow with his his acting. But anyway, he gets this bright idea. He's always about mixing things. They like. He takes like a hot dog bun, puts some cheese in it, and then mixes M&M's on top. And he's like, oh, check out what I made. And he eats it. He's like, you would never think that the M&M's would go with the cheese, but it's really good, man. He doesn't sound like this, by the way. Well, whatever. I'm just being... I can't... I am not him as an actor, right? Fuck you, Pat. Uh, But anyway, to make a longer story shorter... Uh, basically he gets the idea that he would take some of that soft serve ice cream, mix in some alcohol with it so that they can get drunk off the ice cream and they start eating it. And keep in mind, everything's still in black and white, except for the ice cream. They start eating it and all of a sudden they start changing. Like they start convulsing and having seizures everywhere. Which looks hilarious because they're just over the top about it. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really over the top. <laughs> Very Skinamax. Yeah. Um, and then they st- all fall to the floor and they wake up and everything's in color. So everything that all of a sudden becomes into color, they don't realize that they're dead. So they're talking to each other and they're like conversing with each other. Hmm. But in reality, whenever anybody sees them, they're like full-fledged fucking zombies. Huh. So they're like laughing and carrying on and like, what the fuck just happened? I don't know. And they're like, <laughs> to other people that see right. them. So when you see through the eyes of the people who are watching them, they're, yeah. they're zombies. But when they're looking through them, they don't know that they're zombies. So it's really kind of, well, I think that was the genius. people who are not infected and the way they perceive them is like they're moving super fast. Right. And they talk super fast. Yeah, they're like... <laughs> like whenever anybody's like talking to them. Except for drunk people. Right, because they're on the same level. Yeah, so when <laughs> when drunk people see them, they see them all fucked up, but they can understand them somehow. Right. So it's like they go to this bar and they're like, Hey, dude, is there a bathroom inside? And they're like... Uh, uh. <laughs> Like, one dude, like, fucking, what does he get, what happens to one of the guys? In, in the bar? Well, no, in the beginning, like, doesn't he get shot in the chest? Yeah, that's what happens when they go inside the bar. Oh, that's right, okay, yeah. Because everybody else is not drunk inside the bar, and they're like, what the fuck are these zombies doing here? They oh my went, God. Yeah, they went into a bar called Chinks. <laughs> ah, ah, yeah, it like, was run by an Asian guy. Yeah, which was run ah, by an Asian guy. Which and they is called little... him Chinky. Yeah, I, which is, like, really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> That's a bit much for 2012. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so they go into the bar, and he gets shot in the chest, and he realizes he doesn't die, so they don't understand why. So they don't realize that there's zombies this entire movie, but they meet up with this other guy who, he's like, hey, what's up, guys? And they're like, hey, what's going on? Like, why is everybody running around all fast and stuff? And they're like, hey, dude, you got a, a motorcycle handlebar stuck in your stomach. And he was like... Huh. He's like, does that hurt? He was like, you'd think it would. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so they pull it out of him. And this guy's so over the top, like, Bond. Like, 
technically this guy you find out later on that he's he's just like a private he's in the a army yeah he's been a janitor for like 10 years and finally got to private status first class first class yeah <laughs> which is so funny uh one of my favorite lines is he's like in the beginning when they first get infected uh the girl like gets really pissed off because she hears the phone ring but it drives her insane so she rips the fucking phone off the wall, like, out of, like, super strength. And they're all like, whoa. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. One of the guys says the alcohol, like, when they realize that the guys, that anybody that's drunk can understand them, he's like, the alcohol must be in, break the inhibitor. So all we have to do is get the whole town drunk, dude. <laughs> and he's, like, all excited about that. And then the fucking guy's Kager. like, the serious, like, private first class is all like, No. You don't party with the dead. You kill them. Like, <laughs> that's so stupid. One of my favorite, maybe not a scene, but just something that I heard that I liked. Did you know the, the dorky guy, the nerdy guy, his last name? Do you know what it was? It was Cunningham. Which is, Sean you know, Cunningham? Like, yeah, it was Tim Cunningham was his full name. But I just thought it was funny. It was Cunningham. Like, you know, happy days. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, because it kind of has that feel, huh? Right, right. It's like they were trying to take Happy Days and make it into a zombie film. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And um, Except they don't work at a diner, they work at a bowling alley. Right. Another another one of my favorite things about it is that, that they have a point in the movie where all the zombies kind of realize that they're zombies, and they're trying to figure out how they can survive. Right. And so they start referencing like like old zombie movies like Dawn of the Dead. Like, and then they get to Living the Dead and they're like, well, that's a fucking shit pile of a movie. And I just huh. started clapping. Which one? Land of the Dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. They made fun of Land of the Dead in that. That's it right. Was, it there, was great. There's a lot of nods to some of the classic zombie movies. Um, one of my favorite parts, because, you know, you see it back and forth throughout the whole movie. It's like... There's parts in, in color and then black and white. Right. So it just like kind of bounces back and forth. But they're like, oh, baby. I They find out that the, the main character guy, the geeky guy, and this chick. Finally, they've been friends for years. They finally discover that they love each other. And he's like, there's like in the bowling alley. And he's like, oh, baby, I love you. And she's like, I love you. I love you. And they start kissing really sweetly and passionately and it's like very normal and then they like the people in the bowling alley start to become sober because they they go to play bowling with all these people and they get it's like tuesday night drink for a dollar like all night long and so everybody's hammered so they don't even realize they're zombies but suddenly they start sobering up and they see them making out and it's like (laughs) dude it was kind of (laughs) cool I think uh, probably one of my favorite scenes, it, well, it is my favorite scene. Um, uh, remember when they go to her parents' house, him and the, the Cunningham. Right. And he's like, I want to ask your dad, you know, to marry. Something. I want you to marry me, yeah, right. basically. It, well, it was, it was something nerdy it was, than that. Yeah, like, it was he wanted like, to go can, study or yeah, something. Yeah, can we go study? Yeah. Right. So they end up dying, and, you know, he comes back in, and he's like, uh, you know, I think before they died that uh, your father just had a look in his eye. Like, he was like, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, I think it's okay that it's you, okay you date my girlfriend. Right. They're all dead, but I just want you to know we should have sex. And then they have sex. Like, well, no, what no, the they, fuck? Well, it cuts. Remember, it cuts to the scene outside the house, and it's only audio at that point. And like, she gets it out, and you hear her unzip it's, the pants, and then if right. his dick falls, <laughs> you hear it hit the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, when they meet up with their friends, they're like, 
they're like, so did you guys, you know, <laughs> do it, you know? Right. And they, they go to the girls, go to the girls, and the guys go to the guys. And she was like, well, I mean, we did, but it... she was like, oh, he couldn't get it up. And she's like, well, pump chump, right? Yeah. And she's like, well, it fell off. And she's like, wait, it fell off. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the movie is very unique in the sense of how you get to see them through their eyes. And no one's really done that the way that they did it. Right. Uh, And I've always been fascinated with that because I always I wrote a story when I was younger where I was like, okay, what if a zombie is killing people, but they don't realize why? they're killing people. You know what I mean? Like, they're just hungry. And like, they don't realize that they're a zombie. Right. So, but yeah, I think if I had to give this movie a, a score, it's not, like, really high. I would say, like, 6.5. I'd go with a 6.5, yeah. Like, it's watchable. It's, I would own it. I probably do want to buy it at some point. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's very low budget, but it, it's still really cool. Very unique for it. Yeah, I think it's really unique, and I, I think they did a lot with the camera work and everything like that to make it its own movie. So, for the budget that they had. Yeah. So, we also had some other movies Mike actually watched uh, that we didn't get to watch, Pat. And he watched Dead Heat. Oh, dude, Dead Heat. I've not seen it for a long time, and, and uh, I decided to watch it because it's a kind of a unique style zombie movie. Right. Yeah, the movie came out in 1988. So... That's a big year for a lot of movies, too. Like, 81, 88, 86. Like, there's a couple of big ones there. But uh, director Mark Goldblatt did that movie. He's a, kind of an editor. He directed this one, but he's the editor. He did. He was the editor for Terminator 2, The Terminator, oh, Rise wow. of the Planet of the Apes. He's... I will say, you know, I think his editing sucked in Terminator 2. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, he There did... was just so much essential parts that were cut from the film that kind of... Would have made it a better film, in my opinion, if they were left in. Really? No. Hmm. I like um, I like Dead Heat. I can't. I haven't seen it for a while, because for a while you couldn't even watch it. Like it oh, was really? hard to find. Like even on VHS, like <laughs> it was hard. Uh, I think they did come out and on DVD uh, sometime later, and then and even that became hard to find. But he he also directed The Punisher. Oh, the um, the one with Dolph Lundgren. Uh, Dolph Lundgren, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dolph Lundgren, and that one was pretty. Uh, paging Doctor Benway, Doctor Benway. They do that in Naked Lunch too, by the way. Do they? Yeah, it's so weird. I don't know why. Maybe there's like some why with that it's name. A, in the Punisher. They say it, and the doctor's like, paging Doctor Benway, Doctor Benway, and then Naked Lunch. They talk about Doctor Benway. It's like Benway. Anyway, tell us about Dead Heat, Mike. <laughs> Okay, so pretty much about these, uh, it's, it's like a buddy cop movie. Okay. These two cops, like, uh, doing their uh, 1980s cop thing, like Miami Vice style, whatever they do. Shh. Mel Gibson style and oh, Lethal Weapon. Uh, lethal, lethal Weapon, weapon style, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of very similar to that in a way. Anyways, uh, one of the cops gets, uh, they're, if I remember correctly, they're fighting this weird mutant beast in this, like, lab. Treat and, Williams, by the way. Oh, that's the guy. That's the that's guy the from guy, Deep dude. Rising. Oh, yeah. So, Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo, these are the guys. Anyway, I just so, want to mention so, that. So, so Treat Williams gets like, uh, while they're fighting this weird mutant guy. Right. He gets pushed into this chamber where it sucks out all the oxygen or something and kills him. So, Piscopo and this chick, this other female doctor guy, lady, a doctor guy, they uh, they, they find this machine that can re- uh, resurrect him, bring him back to life. Okay. Which is fine, but he only has so much, so many hours to live. Because his his body's like rapidly degrading and falling apart, 
Okay. So they have to go like find out who created this device and stop them and fight these other guys while you know this this treat wounds guy is like rotting from the outside. He can't <laughs> slowly. Be yeah, but there's a, there's a really there's a couple of cool sequences. There's one cool sequence where they're in, this, they're in a Chinese restaurant. The device that reanimates flesh is like hidden in this like chandelier thing. And it starts like activating during this fight sequence for some reason. I don't know why. Like the chickens and the, the ducks and the uh, hanging in the windows like come alive, and all, <laughs> all the chicken wings like in the. Uh, I vaguely they, remember that. Part. They come alive and stuff, and there's like a, a big pig that was like being hung in the, uh, the, the, the 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 locker. You know the the walk in. Okay. That comes alive and it's like it has no head. It's just like fucking flesh and it comes out and oh, there's like a piece it. of liver that like attacks this guy's face and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's got a lot is of there, crazy is there a good scene that, is that one of your favorite scenes you oh think? It's, yeah. it's, it, that's that's a very uh, evil dead over the top scene right that's why I really like the well, movie well that, sh- that movie I remember it being pretty over the top it was like very lowbrow humor in a way and oh yeah it, it, it was like no I won't say lowbrow but you know what I mean like it yeah. was it, I remember a little like slapsticky or you something. either hated it or loved it right it's one of those movies like it wasn't always a hit or a, it's kind of a hit or miss thing yeah, I really dug it. I'm gonna have to watch it again now. I'm definitely gonna have to watch it. I've never seen it, but after you just described that scene, I'm sold. So- well, Joe Piscopo's the guy that dies, right? He's like falling apart, right? No, uh Or is it Treat Williams? Treat Williams dies. Oh okay. But then Piscopo dies at the end and they revive him. Oh. And then it, it's the the end of the, the end sequence is like them kind of like walking off in the distance together, knowing that they're like gonna fall apart. I always get the vibe that rest in peace department. You remember that R.I.P.D. with Jeff Daniels oh, and, uh, and uh, Ryan Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds. I, heard it yeah. bad. I feel like it had that same kind of weird vibe. Although R.I.P.D. is not the. I as think good. that movie could have been a lot better if they used a lot more practical effects and didn't just do. Yeah, no, it was a fucking CGI fuck fest. Yeah, but there was, there was one other scene in the movie that I really dug. Okay, since uh, what was it? Is it Treat Williams is the guy's name? Yeah, since he couldn't die because he's a uh, basically a zombie. Mm-hmm. He uh, it, it there, there's a lot of stuff that makes no sense in the movie. There's lo- there's like so many Uzis. Everybody has an Uzi. And there's one sequence where he's trying to break. Well, that's in. the '80s, man. Like oh, yeah. Uzis are cool, man. There's a sequence where he's trying to break into the lab that has the the device that can reanimate flesh. And the guy running the show is actually a uh, uh, Vincent Price. Really? Yeah. So Vincent Price is actually in the movie. It's crazy. <laughs> that's pretty cool, though. But anyways, he's breaking into the building and he's fighting these other guys that are zombies as well. So there's a sequence where he has a fucking Uzi and this other dude has a Uzi and they're just like standing next to each other like <laughs> and like neither one of them are dying and it's just like this, this It's just st- over the top. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like like it just keeps going forever they're just like shooting at each other and neither one of them are dying. Is there like a whole building in well, there? It, it's like their fucking flesh is all fucking touring up. But but like no, they're not dying. It's it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> That'd be great. They just ended up being torsos. <laughs> yeah. Just the head. Like, uh, right. he never dies in the fucking guinea pig oh, series. Oh, guinea pig, man. Yeah. Um, so, what, I mean, do you think it's like an instant collection, like you got to own it kind of thing? You know, honestly, like like I said, I've not seen it in a long time. After watching it again, dude, it's definitely one of those, like, uh, if you're like... If Gems. You're, yeah, if, if you like Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, stuff like that, um, Waxwork, maybe... Uh, you know, Fright Night, stuff like that. Right. You can definitely put Dead Heat. Well, wasn't this in the theaters? I was. And because Joe Piscopo was big around this time. Oh, yeah. And it was like, it was like the one, his first movie, right? Like, where he was like a main star. 
I'm not sure, but you could be right. Yeah, because he was in Saturday Night Live around this time. Wow. Hmm. I'm definitely hitting Z Records when I leave here. <laughs> I don't. It's, it might be kind of hard to find, but oh, you think it might be? You might only be able to get it on DVD. But I, did they bring it the Blu-ray? Uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't know either. We'll have to look that up. Okay, so there is one uh, movie that left that we kind of want to pick out. And again, as we always say, there are plenty of unique zombie movies out there. There's so many. I oh, mean, yeah. uh, what's the last one we're going to talk about real quick? Well, I'll, I'll mention that in a second. I wanted to shoot out a couple that I thought of, like Warm Bodies. Oh, uh, yeah. you know what? Um, side note, one of Laura's old uh, skating students that she used to teach, uh-huh. uh, Annalie Tipton is in that movie. Really? Yeah, so Laura knows her. That's funny. Oh, that's cool. Was she like an extra, or was she like a No, big she's a, role? the primary uh, Oh, she was the main girl. Yeah. Wow. She was a skater, because you know, Laura's like a, a skating coach. Well, right. she, she doesn't coach anymore, but she did at the time. I didn't mind that movie. I thought it was pretty... I thought it was okay. Uh-huh. It's not something I like wanted to rush out and get it. Right. There's another movie called Nina Forever. Oh, okay. Have you guys seen that? Have you seen Nina Forever? Because I want to talk about that real quick. No, I haven't actually. I don't know why. I, I, I haven't seen it myself. I'm not. Okay. Yeah, Nina Forever is essentially about this guy who's like madly in love with his girlfriend, and she's kind of like protective and, and obsessed with him in a way, but she dies, and he grieves over her, and because he grieves over her, uh, she comes back to life somehow, huh. and the bed that he he brings a new girl in he's trying to get over her and somehow she so it's like necromantic kind of but she no i mean it is and it isn't she ends up he brings home a girl finally that he meets and i i can't remember how blood gets on the bed but somehow blood gets on the bed and it brings her back to life and she starts grabbing and pawing at them while they're having sex. Does she come out of the mattress? Yes. It was very much like Hellraiser oh, in a way. I was, yeah, I was going to bring up Hellraiser. Yeah, it's like that, but it's it's funny. It's like really dark humor, like super dark humor. Um, but it gets to the point where the girl like loves him so much that she just accepts that this his dead girlfriend's there. And so they try to like make it work. Just make <laughs> like, a menage a trois. Yeah, it seriously is like that, but it's so fucking unique and i wish we had more time to watch and maybe we'll talk about that in the future on another zombie noms 2 or something like that real quick about warm bodies before we go any further that track that was in there by uh what was the band's name i'm gonna look it up real quick just because it's worth a mention yeah i don't even know i i I never actually saw the film i saw it it's not bad it's got that guy from hot tub time machine the drunk asshole guy like all that tries to kill himself Oh, I forget it. He's yeah, on yeah. Uh, uh, um, shit. He's like listening to '80s metal and like gets in the car and like revs the engine. He doesn't really mean to try to kill himself, but he hates his life, and so everybody thinks he's trying to kill himself. So yeah. they try to take him out to the old cabin. But that guy, and I can't think of his name right now. I can't think he's of like bald name. guy. He used to be one of the anchors on The Daily Show. He's pretty cool, but I, I I don't know his name. I forget. He's in Warm Bodies. Okay. He becomes friends. He's a zombie that becomes friends with the other zombie. <laughs> And, like, if you warm their hearts, <laughs> oh, really? they become more real. Oh, God. So all they need is love. So, yeah, it is a little lame in that sense. But it's unique. You're trying to find the name of the song in the... No, just the band. Here we go. It's <laughs> M83. What is it? M83. M- oh, M83. yeah. Yes. It's a M83. French band. It's a French band. It's not Francois. synth wave. 
Well, that song definitely has a big 80s influence on it. The last final movie that we wanted to talk about tonight, which is another Zom, a Zom Nom Com. Is a, it's a movie called A Little Bit Zombie. And I love this movie. It was a great movie. You know at the beginning. It's not a 10, but it's an 8. Wait, I'll let you give the synopsis real quick. Yeah, let me uh, let me break it down for you, bro. Um, so A Little Bit Zombie is about a group of zombie hunters. It starts off, the movie starts off where Stephen McCaddy and this other, like, kind of attractive female are hunting zombies. She's kind of like a spirit catcher. Like, she, like, finds zombies by using this crystal orb. And he's like this... Wait, wait, wait. Do zombies have spirits? I don't know what it is. It's just, I call it a spirit orb because it's got, like, some life to it. Okay. But, like, it can find zombies, and so she, like, uses it to, to tell where zombies are. I don't know why that's in the movie, <laughs> but it's in there. You know, it doesn't make sense, but it, it drives the plot. Right. Stephen McCaddy's in it, who's also in Pontypool, which I would also... He was a DJ, right? He was a DJ in Pontypool. Right. Uh, Stephen McCaddy's like a Canadian actor, and he's really he's one of the bigger Canadian actors out there right now. Uh, but he did uh, Pontypool, which is another movie that is very unique to zombies. Mm-hmm. Only it's you get infected through the ear by hearing shit, which I really want to talk about that in maybe a thriller episode. Uh, but anyway, Stephen McCaddy's this zombie hunter. He's a fucking tough as nails dickhead. He's a super big He's just always angry. Right. And it's great. Like, he does a really good job in it. But they basically are hunting, and and this, uh, what is it, a a mosquito gets on the neck of a fucking zombie and bites the zombie and takes its blood, then infects itself and becomes a zombie mosquito. Right. Flies off where this other guy, he's like, with his wife, it's a bridezilla, and they're like celebrating that they're going to get married with her with his it's his sister and his sister's husband and his soon to be wife right somehow the mosquito gets in and it bites one of the main guy on the neck all of a sudden like he, like he tries to kill it cuz it's like lands on his face and he smashes it and it just explodes huh. like more than any mosquito could ever fucking yeah, but the fight with it it was like almost a fight scene in itself because You're it went like on for a while it. What did it remind you of? Why? It totally reminded me of Dead Rising. You don't remember Dead Rising where you go around and you would be able to find the little gold mosquitoes? Oh, and then you would smash the, video the mosquito and it would, like, it would kill all the zombies around you. Oh, it was like a one of those nuke things in Call of Duty zombies? It was kind of like, I guess you would say, maybe like kind of like Count Dracula. It's like you killed the vampire that infected everybody else. It means all the other vampires die. Okay. I don't know. I think they did. It's very funny. It's not... Oh, yeah. It's a little over the top, but it does such a great job of just being kind of consistently silly. Yeah. And there's some really genuinely funny moments in it. And it was steady, too. There was no drops. Yeah, essentially what happens to this guy is he, obviously, because he gets bitten by the fucking mosquito. Good God, Mike. (laughs) Fuck, man. All right, I'm just going to tell you guys, Mike is leaning into the mic and falling asleep. He didn't get much sleep today. Uh, I got no sleep last night, man. It's if so you heard shitty. that little bump, that was him. His head. Uh, I, keep, I, keep, I keep micro-napping. Like, I yeah. keep having dreams. Like, like my, my, my eyes will close and I have a dream for a few seconds. And You keep doing that. I'm just going to move the mic away and just stand in front of you. <laughs> He'll fall forward. Right into your crotch. Yeah. 
Um, but <laughs> so the main actor guy, who I think is is a really, uh, he's actually quite a good actor. Um, I think they all were pretty good. They all worked really well together. I don't know what it was, but there was it's some such kind a of chemistry. silly movie, and it's like kind of low budget. Yeah, but they do some really cool stuff in this movie. The comedy really kind of carries it along. It got five point three on IMDb. It's low everywhere else, but I really like it, and I don't I know. Think I think it deserved a seven point five. I think so. I think it's like an eight, right. in my opinion, for my humor. I'm saying for general public, just for you know. Right. The main actor is Christopher Turner, and he's actually been in quite a bit of stuff. Nothing really big without a paddle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you, do you remember that movie? Yeah. I think it was like a sequel, though. <laughs> so it's not that good. Uh, but I think the guy is like really good. He's very physical comedy, and he's very animated, and he's just really just... He's this kind of like kind of pushover guy who's in love with this bridezilla chick who's like a complete bitch and you really do not like her. She's like, oh, honey, kiss the bunny, kiss the bunny, bunny, bunny. And you're like, fucking shut up. Do you have some favorite parts in there? Well, I'm not going to ruin it for anybody out there just watching the movie because my favorite scene in the movie is the very ass end of the movie. Well, yeah, don't say that. Exactly. But it is it is worth sitting through well, this we'll movie talk just about to that. see that. Yeah. One of the things I think is really funny, as he's turning into a zombie, apparently because of this mosquito biting him, he's kind of like half human, half zombie. So he's not full on zombie. Right. So the the zombie hunters come to meet him and somehow kind of meet up with him because the crystal ball leads them to them. And they don't realize that he's a zombie because he's so cognizant. He's not like one of the yeah one of the, the the angry zombies a typical ones but every time somebody says brains dude fucking just salivates like everywhere i can't ah. imagine how many times he did this in the movie but he just the amount of liquid that comes out of his mouth <laughs> is so funny dude like every time he did it it made me laugh <laughs> me too it did i cracked up i was like what the fuck they're like brains and then like at one point his his sister's husband, who he's best friends with, keeps saying brains on purpose to try to make him, like, drool. He's like, oh, God, stop. Oh, t- favorite scene. Here's one of them. What? Uh, the part where they're uh, they're trying to help him, and they, they kind of realize that he's becoming a zombie and that he needs brains. Right. So they're going to go, him, his, his wife, and his, his sister are going to go out and get him some brains. Right. And he's telling him, he's like, well, you know, just get someone who's an asshole. Or, like, you know, old. Or... You know, no girls, though. <laughs> his, his sister's boyfriend's like, are you gay-ass zombies? <laughs> they, uh, before that, though, one of my favorite scenes is that the bunny that she's making him kiss in the beginning of the movie. Right. When they're traveling to the cabin. He, like, they leave him in the house because in the breakfast that morning, he gets sick. Because he just starts shoveling in food. Oh yeah, she made this like breakfast quiche. Something wrong with your tum tum? Yeah, Aww. she's like, oh, something wrong with your tum tum tummy tum tum. <laughs> and he pukes on her face like violently. This is like <laughs> exorcist yeah. puke. And like nobody gives her a fucking towel whatsoever. They just stare at her. They're and like, leave. well, I'm gonna go for a run. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, no, she's like, I'm gonna go see if he's okay. Oh yeah, that's what it was. And then, um, what is it? They. Uh, he gets, they go to the store to mm-hmm. go get some goods or something, and he's sitting there by himself, and he's like, 
trying to come to terms with that he might be a zombie. And he's like, oh, I'm, he's like the bunnies on the couch with him. And it's like crawling around on top. And he's like, oh, did I scare you, little bunny? Did you think that I was going to eat your braids or something? Or I was going to eat you? Don't worry. And then he bites the head well, of the Well, he starts fucking... kissing his head at yeah. first. And he's like, mm-hmm. and, then and then he, he just... Like, <laughs> Dude, the head is like stuck in his mouth. And then as he's doing this and realizing he's like excited about it, they walk in through the front door and he stands up and he's got the bunny in his mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the best part after that where they put it in the box and for some reason they leave a leg hanging right. out. <laughs> Dude, oh, that was the other thing. When he bites the head of the fucking bunny, you see its little legs and it's like kicking. Like it just shows the top, the bottom of its feet. And it's just like you see it wiggle a little bit. I was like, oh, that's so fucked up. Oh, man. And another great thing about this movie is that it, it, so many references to Evil Dead. It's just... Oh, totally. Because he says groovy. Right. He well, goes into what, the shed. That, that was right after the gear up scene where he's like... Yeah, he gears up. He spins. He breaks the, the hockey stick in half. Right. And then tries to spin it on his hand and hits it, him in the face. And he's like, he's like, groovy. Oh, remember where they dig the grave for the bunny and then he makes like a little cross. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a little snick cross. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, like, I can't explain this movie. Like, the, the comedy that's in it is, it's actually really, really good. Well, I guess we can, I don't want to spoil the end, though. No, don't go there. No, you guys, We I think we said enough about this movie that if you, you're a fan of Evil Dead. If you like zombie, or zombies, zomcoms, whatever, like, it, I really think it's worth a watch. And oh, you can actually sure. watch it for free on Prime if you belong to Prime. Honestly, I think I'd give it an eight because I just love the humor. Oh, there's yeah, that one scene where when they meet up with the friends, they the girl gives them a card. Yeah. And the guy goes, the, the his sister's boyfriend goes outside and finds the card. And he's like tired because they're like talking about killing people. Right. To help feed him brains and shit. And... Uh, they uh, he finds the card and he calls the zombie hunters to come to try to help him and he's like telling him not to kill his friend and then Stephen McHattie gets the phone he's like give me the fucking phone he's like who the fuck is this what do you want and he's like hey I called you I wanted to get help from my friend and I want you to kill him he's like fuck you and he's like no fuck you and they just said this fuck you back and forth until the guy finally says the last fuck you and Stephen McHattie gets so pissed that the guy got the last fuck you and hung up on him that he's like screams and throws the f- he slams on the brake throws the phone out the phone or out the window and then shoots it with the shotgun out the window. Oh, <laughs> so great, dude. Oh, did you notice the part where they go before the he starts doing all the hunting and stuff? They try to go to the butcher and try to find some brains that he could eat. Oh yeah, don't we don't want to ruin everything. We well, this is one of the tropes that I liked. Yeah, but we you know. Did you see the total on the register when they left? What was it? It was six sixty six. Yeah, well, they have the beers in the movie too. There's six sixty six. Oh, really? But that just reminded me of Doom Generation. I don't know if that's like... Yeah, it kind of does. But there's 666 and a lot of stuff. Right. Like, I don't know why, but it is. Well, well, well that was one of the tropes in Doom Generation. Anytime they stopped at a gas station to it buy anything, thing. it was always 666. Right. 
But yeah, man, I think you guys, if you get a chance to watch this, you definitely should. It's on Amazon. You can watch it on Prime. Oh, it free. is? Yeah. Oh, cool, man. So you get if you haven't seen it, Mike, you should definitely check it. It's, I'm going to check it out. Obviously, there's so many more movies that we could mention, guys. If you have some favorites that maybe we should watch that we didn't mention or that you think would be really good zomedies, um, obviously, we didn't want to cover just any comedy, zomedy. We wanted to cover ones that are just very unique. So... We really appreciate you guys coming by. If you haven't already and you are listening to us through iTunes or not, please give us a review on there. It really helps us out, pushes us up the chain. Help a brother out. Help, help a brother out. Help three I know, just, brothers out. Just a little out. bit. Give it, give it some. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing next week? We are, we don't know the name for it, but we're going to be doing... I thought door, it was Doorway Horror. Doorway Horror. Some things that lead oh, you yeah. into another dimension. So that'll be next week. So stay tuned. Follow us on YouTube, SoundCloud. Twitter, all that shit. It's all in the information. Thank you again, Jake West, for coming by. And we love you guys. Fantastic. Tremendous, beautiful, people tell me wonderful things about it.